Hey everyone, never fear two weeks we'll get back to music. We saw an opportunity to step out of our format with another thing we're passionate about, James Bond movies. Hopefully you'll enjoy this episode as much as we did making it. We also figured this was the appropriate time to have our first ever pre-credit monologue. <laughs> so take a listen and enjoy this special one-time episode. Just picture me skiing off a cliff, escaping the enemy with my parachute opening up with a big Dirty Dozen logo on it. Here we go. You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast Goes to the Movies, a special James Bond podcast. It's time to put on a tuxedo, shake your martini, and grab your Wather PPK, because we're going to discuss and rank the top 12 Bond movies of all time, from Connery to Craig, and all the Bonds in between. But beware, there are spoilers. There are spoilers. Did I just say they're spoilers? So if you don't want to hear them, watch whatever movie, No Time to Die, you're worried about first, No Time to Die. <laughs> all right. So, let's turn it over to your hosts, deep within the MI6 bunker, Rob Heitman and Bonfile Extraordinaire. From his lair deep within the volcano, Ross Bradder. Hey, Ross, how are you doing? Hey, Rob, it's good to be with you. Uh, well, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we're ranked at 30 dozen or top 12 Bond movies and dig deep into them while pounding back a few drinks. I'm Rob. I'm Ross. I'd like to thank everybody who's been active and joining in in the conversations on Facebook with a special shout out to Alex Hennon, Michael Smith, Susan Rodwell, and Dave Devlin. Thank you for being active, my friend. All right. So, Ross. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. I've been freezing in Dallas all week, but happy to be here now. And oh, that's good. Back in good old SoCal. The volcano layer is probably a little warmer. So <laughs> it, it is. I just realized I forgot to put on my Spectre ring before coming over here. So uh, that was an error on my part. There you go. Number three is your section ready to carry out Kronstein's directive for your sake. I hope so. But you still have your Spectre tattoo that they all have. <laughs> um, so, Ross, what was your first memory of a Bond, I guess, as a kid or, or younger person? Actually, I was about six years old, and we went over to a friend's house in Boxburg, South Africa. In the friend's living room, we had a good old real projector there, and we watched Goldfinger on the wall. The wall was the, the projector screen. Oh, really? So they actually got the full movie? The full reel. reel. It was the full movie reel. You know, back in those days, there was no VHS, there was no Betamax. You'd go and rent the reel and actually watch the movie. And, and, and they had color back then. Right? <laughs> I'm not that old. Were these talkies? <laughs> We're the same age. I'll way. never forget that movie that night and, and watching it. And it was pretty spectacular. First time I'd seen something quite like that. At the age of six, it kind of got me addicted to watching Bond movies. I think Goldfinger had come out in 1969. So this was about eight years later, 1976. Just a, a, a great movie altogether. So No, I, I get it. I, I'm sure it's different because we never had that in the U.S., like the running of the, the reels. But you grew up differently because you were in South Africa mm -hmm. hitting this stuff. So it's, it's interesting. I saw The Spy Who Loved Me. I like to think it was in the theater, but I don't think it was. I think I saw it on HBO, which it went to HBO like a year after it came out. And I remember going to Moonraker in the theater. That's my first theater bond. Mm-hmm. And I just love the pre-credit, diving from an airplane, getting pushed out without a parachute. I didn't think I'm ever going to fly with anyone else. 
You're so right, Mr. Bond. This is where we leave you, Mr. Bond. Uh, a little premature, isn't it? Enjoy your flight. And I'd go home and I'd be like trying to write my own script and how I would do it. And I was just so into it. It was kind of crazy how into it I was. But I remember writing the script and going to my father and say, Dad, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> and, you know, at the end, he's groping the girl and whatever. You know? It's just because I'm a young kid. I don't know. I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is great. Uh, with Jaws in it. Uh -huh. I really had a good time with that growing up. And I've been a Bond fan ever since. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, I can remember the second one I watched, which was The Man with the Golden Gun. The uh, plane, boss. The plane. <laughs> If you kill him, all this be mine. This way, Monsieur Bond. Knickknack, Herbie Villachez really made that movie for me. <laughs> the plane. Uh, but we were watching it inside this tent, and I remember they handed out this candy and popcorn and everything, and it was uh, pretty spectacular watching... Scaramanga fly away in his car as he crossed the river and oh, Bond, I know, that's Bond, great. <laughs> Bond chasing after him. Just very inspirational. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff in that movie. I mean, it doesn't get the reputation of being the best Bond movies. But to me, I'll, I'll sit down and watch it. I like it. I like the uh, nuance. I like that gangster coming in in the beginning where he's going through the, the fun house that he has set up. And mm Whatever you are, don't hold it against me. And, you know, seeing Bond, the fake Bond statue of uh, Roger Moore there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's 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 an underrated flick. I guess it's just because it's not the deepest plot of the world, oh, in no. the world, and there's no yeah. earth, you know, global danger. No, no, no real danger. It's just, just uh... mano y mano, <laughs> man with the golden gun versus 007. So, yeah, it's a fun movie, but so who's your favorite Bond? You know, it, it's it's very difficult because I think the best Bond uh, has been Daniel Craig. I think he's done a phenomenal job in the role. I think he embraced both capability to be the suave character while being genuinely rough around the edges. But I grew up with Roger Moore bond of my formative years. Well, that so was me too. So, so yeah. it's a little difficult not to say that he was my favorite, but the best in my opinion, has been Daniel Craig. I actually agree. That's what I had. I said he combines the comedy timing of Moore, which mm -hmm. he has great comedy timing, the danger of Connery, and the physicalness of Lazenby, mm -hmm. you know, who's very physical, mm -hmm. and just that sort of hard edge of Dalton, even, if you want. And it all combines into this one character, which really turns into, I guess, what Dalton was going for, and I think what Craig eventually did was turn it into the original Ian Fleming character. And I think if you look at the Dalton movies, just a sidebar, imagine Daniel Craig could pull that off now, and those movies would be much better received today than I think they were at the time, because it was such a drastic change. More into Dalton, because Dalton went totally serious from the kind of light Roger Moore era. But when Craig hit, at least they had Brosnan kind of pushing the way, and then 9-11 hit, mm -hmm. and it caused the whole world to get more serious. When... Brosnan moved over to Craig. Yeah, I think that's true. And Dalton's movies, I think, are two really, really good movies, but they didn't get the acclaim that they should have because they were too, maybe too violent or they were maybe too rough. They didn't bridge that gap effectively from where Moore was. And Craig, you're absolutely right. If he were to redo those, the way that he played the role, 
I think would be a lot more accepted in this day and age. It's unfortunate that Craig is done playing the role. I think it's going to be very tough to to figure. I don't out. know. I think he survived. What? I'm sorry. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, I think he survived too. But the issue is. Do you really? Do you really? <laughs> I yes. was totally kidding. Huh? The one missile that was going to hit him just missed him, and then he fell I, into the I, roof. I'm not saying the missile didn't hit the location. I'm saying that it's a concrete bunker that could have been like an escape air pocket within. <laughs> I have an interesting theory about that, but we'll talk about that probably later. Uh, speaking of your favorite Bond, if you have a Bond, you need somebody to go up against him. You need the villain, and sometimes the movie is only as good as the villain. Mm. So who's your favorite Bond villain? My favorite Bond villain is actually not a main villain. My favorite Bond villain would be Jaws. Okay. The shark or the, the character? No, the character Jaws. Richard Kuehl's portrayal of Jaws was really quite remarkable. One of the scenes was pretty spectacular. The one is on the cable car in Rio de Janeiro where he's trying to fight Bond on the cable car. The and Moonraker, then, right? Yes. I might have guessed. Do you know him? Not socially. His name's Jaws. He kills people. And it's in Moonraker, which not necessarily my favorite Bond movie, but it's portrayal of that character of Jaws in Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, it's epic. It's one of those most memorable villains that you will have in all of the Bond movies. And, you know, like, you know, you can go with Blofeld, but Blofeld, you know, most of the time you don't see Blofeld because he's sitting in his chair petting his cat. Only one person we know uses this sort of gun. James Bond. But Bond is dead. It was in all the newspapers. Rubbish. Bond is alive. Unless you killed him, Mr. Osato. Mine is actually not Jaws. I mm. thought about Jaws. Okay. I thought about Blofeld. I thought about a bunch. But then I sat back and I'm like, what was the most surprising, what was the most dangerous villain of them all? And I'm going to go with Alec Trevelyan. Ah. Because... In Goldeneye. Yeah, Goldeneye. Because mm -hmm. of the duplicity... And the unexpectedness mm -hmm. of that turnaround, the first time I saw it, mm -hmm. which was in the theater, I was blown away. I thought they were just doing that in the beginning. I wasn't a, a film study at that point. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm saying, if they're bringing him up there, he's going to show up later. Mm -hmm. That wasn't what I thought. Mm -hmm. I said, oh my gosh, they're just going to get even with that guy who murdered 006. Yeah. And all of a sudden, as it started coming up, the turnaround and that he's the mastermind behind this whole crime syndicate in Russia. Alec, back from the dead. No longer just an anonymous star on the memorial wall at MI6. What's the matter, James? No glib remark? No pithy comeback? What? No pithy comeback? No. No, no, <laughs> pithy, no pithy comeback. He was the one who I thought stood up to Bond the best mm -hmm. because he was Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the duplicitness of that particular villain, the fact that Bond doesn't even realize who he is for quite some time is pretty remarkable. And I tend to agree with you. Certainly one of the most unique villains. Definitely a differentiator there. So, yeah. Ross, I don't know about you, but I need a drink. Vodka martini. Shaken, not stirred. And for you? The same. How do you take it? Straight up with a twist. All right. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what would be a good drinking 007 clip instead of going the Simpsons thing I usually do. So I thought that one worked pretty well. <laughs> I'm drinking, as you would expect. That's right. A vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. 
I didn't put any olives in it, but I did do a lemon peel with a twist. So straight up with a twist, I guess. Yes. <laughs> it's really good. I was surprised. I've had martinis before and I've had them stirred, not shaken. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've actually had it shaken. Okay. And it's much better than I thought it was going to be. Is it kind of like smoother and it's... Uh... Well, not necessarily more smooth. And it makes it a little more cloudy. Okay. Like if you mix it, it's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And you have a little more cloud to it, but the taste is actually quite good. It's not smoother, but maybe a little bit more complex. Okay. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty much dry vermouth and vodka and a little bit of lemon skin. So what you do, you peel the lemon with a peeler. Mm-hmm. So you just get the skin. Just get the little skin in and there. And you rub it along the rim mm-hmm. and then you twist it mm-hmm. and you drop it in. So you get the juice of the... Just whatever that little piece of lemon skin lemon is. Lemon gives you. Yeah. And you have it. So it's not overly powerful, but mm-hmm. it works great. And I'm not one for olives usually. Although I have to try it one of these days. <laughs> Ross, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking the Modern Bond drink, which is the Heineken 00. 0.0. Seems to be the drink of choice of the Daniel Craig in the most modern Bond movies. Although he also still will go and have a traditional vodka martini as well. Yeah, he does um, the commercial. Give me a, a Heineken 00 because I'm working. Because I'm working. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Rob, and we are on the job here. This is this is part of the part of the work here. Yes, so. it is. It's absolutely- but it's actually it's actually pretty good. It's the first time I've actually had this, and it it actually almost has like a lemony taste to it, which is kind does of it? interesting. Does it? It tastes like beer. It does, but it, it's not like a blue moon, which has got orange flavor to yeah, it. Yeah, it, yeah, It's yeah. more of a lemon citrus type of flavor, which okay. is interesting. It's good. Mm. Do you like it? It's pretty good. Good deal. So if you're looking for a non-alcoholic beer, try the Heineken Double O, just like Daniel Craig. <laughs> All right. <laughs> by the way, we're only ranking movies that were made by. Eon Productions. That means no Niven, no Woody Allen, no Jimmy Bond TV show versions of Casino Royale. No Never Say Never Again here. The way this works is that we combine our individual top 12 lists with a lightly weighted media list to create our official Dirty Dozen list of the best Bond movies. We'll count down that list from 12 to 1. Nice and simple. But before we get going with the list, we'll each talk about our pick for the worst Bond movie of all time. So Ross, what's your clunker? My clunker is one that, unfortunately, I believe had a spoof made out of it by Austin Powers. Spy Who Shagged Me movie, I believe it is. It's Moonraker. Although Moonraker has one of my favorite villain scenes in it, which I referenced earlier on, where Jaws is on the cable car and after James Bond and and Bond escapes. And then Jaws, like, going full ball down the cable car, crashes into the cable car house and somehow survives. And he's picked up by this beautiful blonde who hooks up with Jaws then. It's almost bizarre in nature, that scene all of itself. But Moonraker, it makes no sense. As I said, this is the first one I've ever seen. Like when I saw it, I kind of enjoyed the ride, shutting my brain off. Mm-hmm. And this is right after Star Wars, which is the reason they tried to do this, right? Yeah. Because they're trying to be current and being up with what's going on. But to your point, there's no way that we're going to shoot up, <laughs> you know, space shuttles already to... Be launched, loaded with a bunch of Marines and lasers without warning. When a space station shows up out of the blue, they're ready to launch within minutes and multiple shuttles as well. All this crazy stuff that happens in the movie. Yeah. It's bizarre. I enjoyed some of the NASA stuff, like when he's stuck in that training machine that's a centrifuge that simulates how many G's they go through on takeoff. Mm-hmm. How uh, fast does it go? 
go up to 20 G's, but that would be fatal. Three G's is equivalent to takeoff pressure. Most people pass out at seven. You make a great salesman. You don't have to worry. This is what we call a chicken switch. You just keep your finger on that button. The moment the pressure gets too much for you, release the button and the power's cut off. Just like that? Come on, Mr. Bond. A 70-year-old can take three Gs. Well, the trouble is there's never a 70-year-old around when you need one. <laughs> I love that humor. But anyway, the henchman named Chang gets in there and sneaks in and puts him up to something he should die from. Yes. And he had that armor-piercing dart that he happened to have ready. It just and happened he, to be ready. And yes. he, which he had it strapped on his wrist. I think it's part of their standard issue setup, right? The fact that <laughs> there were different darts and he happened to have that one. But that's okay. So he, like, flips it. And it stops it, and he survives, and everything. I don't know what could have happened. Something must have gone wrong with the controls. But I like the, the hunting scene with Drax. Uh-huh. Come now. I doubt if I'm in your class. Oh, you're too modest, Mr. Bond. Over there. And they were going to shoot him with the sniper mm-hmm. when he did the shot. <laughs> And, and Drax goes, no, you missed. And Bond goes, did I? And you see the guy fall from the tree. You missed, Mr. Bond. Did I? As you said, such good sport. <laughs> but to your point, yeah. absolute lunacy that that actually happened in a Bond movie. And nobody yeah. wants to see Bond in space. Yeah. And although I did as a young kid. Yeah. It's never set well as a movie that tracks with the majority of what James Bond has always been about. It was a diversion. It was an attempt to, as you say, be relevant or current to try and attach itself to the whole Star Wars phenomenon. But it made no sense. I mean, what are those, you know, people in the in the space shuttles? Are they stormtroopers? You know, what, what, I mean, what are we dealing with here? It's, it's, it was it's, insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just nuts. It's comic booky. It's superhero-y. There's no grounding in reality whatsoever. There's nuances of it, as I said, like the NASA stuff. And yeah, I do remember that scene from the Spider Shack me mimicking that whole battle and mm-hmm. with the airlock and it's, everything. It's great. completely. It's completely with Mini Me. Mini Me. Yeah, yeah, it's a complete. It's a complete spoof on the whole thing. Vern Troyer should not be the person that you're reminded of when you watch a James Bond movie. I'm sorry. And, and the whole thing with uh, Jaws falling in love with the girl with glasses. Yes. That she was going to be executed by Drax. And then he looked at her and he changed. It's sort of like a Darth Vader moment. Yeah. And she looked like some sort of like Swedish country barmaid who like didn't belong in Rio de Janeiro. I mean, like, like nothing made sense. How would that relationship work? She's like four three. <laughs> yeah. And he's like eight foot tall. Eight foot tall. She's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go talk about my worst one. Mm-hmm. And this is going to piss people off because mm-hmm. I'm not going with a normal one. <laughs> I'm going with the Sean Connery movie. Mm. Diamonds are forever. Okay. It's a diamond smuggling investigation leads James Bond to Las Vegas. This is the plot, by the way, mm-hmm. where he uncovers an evil plot involving a rich business tycoon. We're not cloning around here as Diamonds are Forever is my worst movie by Bond ever. <laughs> now, the start off the weirdness... Let's go to casting. Charles Gray, who played Henderson in You Only Live Twice, who was Sean Connery's contact, pretty much the movie before if you skip on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and he played Henderson, and now he's Blofeld in this one. It's just really weird. 
one of the good things, I'll start with the good things about my worst movie ever, mm-hmm. is the gay hitman went and kid. I thought those guys were actually quite good mm-hmm. and very progressive for putting that in there. He got bitten by the bug, which is just fantastic, those guys. And now it gets a little sketchy. For the first time ever, Bond does a German accent in this movie. Mm-hmm. You are English? Yes, I'm English. I speak English. Who is your floor? Three, please. Come on, how often do you hear Bond do an accent ever? And yeah. it, was, it was kind of fun yeah. to see Cottery do a, do this accent, and then they got in this awesome they fight. Get, they stuff. get a pretty awesome fight in the elevator there. Yeah. So. Yeah. so this is the good part. I'm going to stick with the good part. I'm not going to go with the bad part yet. I liked it when the gangster throws plenty of tool out the window. I'm afraid you've caught me with more than my hands up. Hey, what the hell is this? A pervert's convention or something? Hey, listen, you can't do this to me. Stop that. I've got friends in this town. Exceptionally fine shot. I didn't know it was a pool down there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was my favorite line from that movie. I didn't know there was a pool down there. <laughs> and uh, there's actually some good chemistry between Tiffany Case. Now, said the good stuff. There are so many problems with this movie. Clone, 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 clone. This whole idea that they kill every person who touches the diamonds and a copter pilot who actually didn't touch the diamonds. <laughs> Wasn't it a well-oiled smuggling ring? It seems like murdering everybody would draw way too much attention to that smuggling ring. <laughs> it just it seems insane. They couldn't hold on to Peter Franks. They arrest this guy, Peter Franks, and the British government couldn't hold on to him. And even if they let him go or he escapes, why wouldn't you tell Bond? He has to find out by calling Q and then Q gets all pissed off about him because he hangs up on him because the guy that he's playing is free again. It's just weird. And he comes back after Bond later, which works out good for Bond, just as a happenstance that he's able to smuggle diamonds up his, you know, yes, <laughs> in his innards, right? Mm-hmm. Peter Franks, as we heard before when I was talking about his German accent, they have this big fight. Bond ends up killing Franks and he switches his wallet with Frank's wallet. Now, first of all, Bond is on a mission as Peter Franks. Why would he have a James Bond wallet on him? <laughs> and, he's, and, he's, and he switches it to Peter Franks and she picks up the wallet and she goes, you killed James Bond. I'm like, first of all, Bond has never worked in the smuggling section ever. <laughs> he already talked about that earlier on in the movie. Yes. Does everybody know who the best secret, mm-hmm. secret agent in the world is? Who is he? No idea. This chap's been following me all day today. My God. You just killed James Bond. Is that who it was? Well, it just proves no one's indestructible. That proves that nobody's... Like, he's talking about himself. Ah, it's crazy. Then they have all these clones of Blofeld in this movie, which just drives me crazy. And he builds this thing that causes nuclear bombs to explode. With a laser, even submarines, which I don't know how he's finding. <laughs> and they're exploding just to show that they work. By the way, going back to Peter Franks, what happens is she, he goes into the into Tiffany Case, right? And the first time he meets her, mm-hmm. he goes there. And 
she asks if he wants a drink. He takes a drink. She says, oh, can I get some ice? And she goes back and she checks the fingerprints, right? Mm-hmm. She dusts for the fingerprints mm-hmm. and she does. And there's Peter Frank's p- fingerprint. And then you see that it's his because Q gave him a fake p- fingerprint. But I'm like, if she has freaking Peter Frank's fingerprint, do you mm-hmm. think they can give her a photo? <laughs> <laughs> Which is much easier to get than a fingerprint, I'd assume. (laughs) So so it's all that. And one of the best scenes in the movie, kind of, is Winton Kidd knock Bond out, put him in the the casket, and try to cremate him. Mm -hmm. And then they pull him out uh, because he gave him fake diamonds. You dirty, double-crossing, limey, finkos, goddamn diamonds are phonies. Now, don't tell me. Yours, St. Peter? Taste, class. Where's the real stuff, Franks? Where's the real money? What do you mean? You wouldn't burn up 50,000 real dollars, now, would you? One last break, Franks. Where are the real diamonds? You get me the real money, and I'll bring you the real diamonds. Where the hell do you think you're going? I hear that the Hotel Tropicana is quite comfortable. My condolences, gentlemen. And he walks away, and I'm like, wait, where is he now? He's at Slumber Inc. You know where Slumber Inc. is? In the middle of the desert with nothing around it. He didn't drive there. He got driven there. (laughs) Why was he just walking away (laughs) and just getting there? (laughs) There's no Uber back then. (laughs) Bond is not Ubering. Okay, there's a couple other things. (laughs) And by the way, getting back to that scene where I said that I liked which is, I didn't know there was a pool out there. That scene. Yes, yeah. You know why they threw her out the window? They, he throws her out the window. You know what happens next? The guys with the guns start backing out of the room. And he definitely thought he was going to be captured at this point. But he's just puzzled why they're backing out of the room. And then Tiffany Case is in the other room because she wants to sleep with him. So they threw, they attempted murder to that woman for the opportunity to sleep with with the to Tiffany Case. <laughs> that was the whole plot. I was like, what? What? They just threw this girl out the window just so she, Bond could sleep with her. Yeah. And Bond's very happy to do that, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Which goes without saying. Massive disconnect. Yeah. And this is a, a nuanced thing that you would only get. After Tiffany Case and Bond have sex, right? Tiffany Case goes to pick up the diamonds. And Tiffany Case is being followed. So she tries to get away from them. And she goes into this fair... And they have this ape woman where she changes yeah. into an ape or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what they talk about in the intro for it? Girl never born to live. She was captured near Nairobi, South Africa, and is believed to be part of a cruel and human experiment. Captured in Nairobi, South Africa. Which is Kenya, but but, but 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 I thought you'd appreciate that because that actually made it into the script because they had no idea. Uh, Nairobi, South Africa. And then after that, she gets away. Nobody knows where she goes, and Bond goes to the house where she's at. And I'm like, how did that happen? How do you know she went to this house? Plenty of tool is floating in the pool, and she's there. And how did that happen? How do you know that that's where she went? And it's just like all these little like jumps that I'm like, how did that even happen? And they do this stunt when they're running away from the police mm-hmm. where the car goes sideways mm-hmm. and cuts through this really slim alleyway. Yeah. And it makes the first know. cut and you see it going to the right. And then they cut to the other side and it's going to the left, <laughs> <laughs> which is an amazing stunt. If you actually pull that off. Two more things. Just why this is the most ridiculous movie ever. Bond climbs. He 
decides he doesn't want to go up the elevator normally. He climbs up on the outside of the elevator, does some mountain climbing on the outside of White Tower or whatever, mm-hmm. and he climbs to the top. He gets there, and then he opens the window and drops in to the bathroom. There's a way to open the window from outside. <laughs> Opens it, jumps in, and then of course Blofeld's ready for him. He's like, "I was expecting you. I was expecting you to to splunk outside, drop down into my bathroom, and talk to me. And I'm going to use the Willard White voice because you're going to find out in a second I'm Blofeld. But I still want to do it. <laughs> Let's just give you a little background for a second. Mm-hmm. They kidnap Willard White, who is um, a Howard Hughes type, this billionaire, mm-hmm. and Blofeld had a voice changer that made him sound like it. So he sat up there and played the part of a recluse billionaire up in his penthouse apartment in his hotel. Okay. So Bond decides to kill him when he meets him after coming out of the bathroom. But he sees there's two of them there. There's clones of Blofeld. And he sees the cat, so he figures that the cat is going to go to its owner if you kick it, which is a big stretch if you've ever owned a cat. But he kicks it, he jumps to this one Blofeld, so he kills that Blofeld, and of course it's the wrong Blofeld. The real Blofeld is holding a gun to him. Now remember at this point, Bond just killed one of his clones, and all Blofeld has to do is pull the trigger and Bond's dead. And his plan works. And he lets him go. Therefore, Blofeld knows that the jig is up and he needs to escape. So Blofeld escapes, dressed like a woman, steals Tiffany Case, and they go. So some time passes, and the real Willard White is suddenly up in the penthouse with Bond. And they start looking at the models, and this is how they make their next leap, okay, to find Blofeld. Willard White had this elaborate model display of all his holdings around the world, but replica models, okay? He goes, well, you have all these places, and he's like, you have one in Rio de Janeiro, you have one in Las Vegas, and you have one in Baja, California. Baja, California? I don't have one in Baja, California. And do you realize, if we want to believe that's actually on there, this fictional white property, mm-hmm. which is in the penthouse that nobody's been in in four years, which is why Blofeld could live there and mm-hmm. be a mastermind, that Blofeld saw the models of the places that Willard White had factories that were made from 3D models that are on his floor, right? and decided, wait, I have a secret base of operations. Let me make a model for that. (laughs) Let me put it there, and let me mark exactly on the map where it is. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Let's go to the intro real quick. He kills Blofeld in the intro, right? Uh Uh-huh. Blofeld's having these surgeries, and you think it's Blofeld changing his look, but he's designing his clones, people look like him. Yes. So... He goes in, dressed as a doctor, and somehow fools them into thinking he's a doctor. And then everybody leaves besides Bond, which is okay. Big stretch, but okay. And then the guy who's getting the plastic surgery decides to come out of this plastic goop that he's in with a gun in his hand. (laughs) He took it in to the goop just in case somebody would show up. (laughs) <laughs> they have this special gun compartment in the goop and he <laughs> and he comes up pointing a gun out of the goop how on earth do you do that who was the writer that came up with that you know, how about he comes out of the goop with a gun where he's going reaching out of the, the there's a gun next door next to it he pulls it out and he goes no 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 he has it in there while he's getting plastic surgery <laughs> I'm like oh my gosh it's just insane anyway 
So, Diamonds are forever is so, uh, my worst. My gosh, as you've gone through the the litany of writing failures that uh, clearly are in that movie, it's interesting to me that scene that you referenced. Oh, you killed James Bond. There was a product placement moment in that movie right there. Playboy Club. Playboy Club. That was the ID. Was James Bond Playboy Club ID? One of the best moments of my childhood, by the way. Let me just go to. The- <laughs> My father had him drop something off to somebody at his work at the Playboy Club, and he had to bring me in because he couldn't leave me outside. And he's like, Rob, look down. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to go to the Playboy Club. It was awesome. (laughs) And I didn't look down. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Go figure. No, I believe there was actually another scene. uh, It's not in Diamonds of Forever, but there was another Playboy product placement uh, scene. It's basically Bond's looking at a Playboy magazine, and then he takes the the centerfold and he wanders off. It was in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's where where it was. He was coming out. He did the safe cracking from the the lawyer. Yes, that's correct. It was was the Lazenby movie, yeah. Yeah, and he was walking out and looking at the... The, looking the centerfold. At the, yeah, he, and he, he was flipping it over, but he's looking like this businessman. Yeah, yeah, he's walking like in the lobby with the Playboy centerfold. I'm Just like, like they all do in big business. That's how it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Now it's time for the main event. We're going to be doing the top 12 Bond movies of all time, starting with number 12. James Bond heads to the Bahamas to search for two stolen nuclear warheads that are being used to blackmail the world. Sean Connery's most financially successful Bond movie is our number 12, Thunderball. And this was my number 12, but the media's number 6. So it made the list. And Ross, you did not have this on your list. I didn't have this on my list. And honestly, it's one that I never really liked very much. Well, there's like, I can go through some of the things that are wrong with it, but let me just start what I liked. First of all, I think it's important because the movie's based on a book. And the book was written by Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory. And in that book was the first creation of Spectre. Okay. Which a lot of the movies were based on and ended up being a huge court case between the two that went on for years and years and years and only finally ended after his death when the movie Spectre was released. That's why they went down that road of the quantum group Mm -hmm. later in the Daniel Craig movies because they couldn't use Spectre at the time and then they were finally allowed to and that was why they created Spectre and you saw Blofeld show up all of a sudden. That said, Kevin McClory ended up being the producer of Thunderball due to this conflict that was starting to happen already after the success of Goldfinger. And Kevin McClory was thinking of creating his own Bond movie, which he eventually did later on and Never Say Never Again, which is Thunderball reimagined and actually with Connery in it too. Sorry about the preamble, but I could probably just do a whole podcast on just that relationship uh, between Broccoli, Saltzman, and McClory and everything that happened down the path. But anyway, back to the movie. One cool thing, when he falls into the shark pool, when Largo traps him in there while he's fighting this other guy, he has this breathing apparatus that he puts in his mouth. Mm-hmm. It, it looks so real that the British military engineering group called Eon Productions and asked, how does this work? How long can you breathe underwater with this? So the prop guy says, as long as you could hold your breath, 
<laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. And he goes, but the engineer said, well, Bond was underwater for at least a couple minutes on the screen. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, that's about editing. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> it's, Although the jetpack was real. It, yes. It, it's called Hollywood. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's funny that people actually thought that actually happened. The whole shark scene is kind of interesting. Sean was in there in the water with the sharks and there was plexiglass separating Connery from the sharks. Mm-hmm. But there was a four foot opening. They didn't have enough plexiglass. But they didn't tell Sean. <laughs> So one of the sharks finds it and starts going towards Connery, and he just got out before the shark was on him. Uh-huh. And it got away from the people that had like wranglers trying with sticks, trying to keep the sharks in order. It's just bizarre. So it's one of the reasons Connery is probably pissed off at all of them anyway. That would make sense. I mean, <laughs> but what I loved is where Blofeld and the whole scene where Blofeld is in the room with that long table with all the chairs and it's the Spectre headquarters mm-hmm. and everybody sits around the table and he does the first electrocution by button. <laughs> Spectres are dedicated fraternity whose strength lies in the absolute integrity of its members. The culprit is known to me. I've decided on the appropriate action. <laughs> At which point, watching it again now, I can't help but think of Austin Powers. Oh, I'm badly burnt. Please, someone come help me. (laughs) (laughs) That was very good. And Duval, who's the guy who do plastic surgery to make him look like this fighter pilot. Mm -hmm. And he steals the nuclear bombs, right? Mm -hmm. Right before he goes, what does he do? The stupidest thing anybody in the world can do. He has a deal with Spectre. And what does he do? He tries to extort Spectre. (laughs) Hence, he didn't make it out of the water when he dropped the thing off. Just stupid. And one of my other favorite lines from this is right when uh, Fiona is on the dance floor, she gets shot. Bond grabs her and says this line. It's fantastic. Listen. One of my friends sits this one out. She's just dead. (laughs) That's my favorite line. And Fiona was one of the best things in this movie, by the way. She was fantastic. Pretty much Bond's femme fatale in this. It's pretty awesome. A couple plot holes. Bond is at that same health club as Spectre in the beginning. The one that's right next to the military base, which they even talk about the planes being too loud in one of the scenes. Oh, all these planes. Who decides to make a health retreat right next to an airport? (laughs) Anyway. Then Bond traps Count Lippy in the steam machine, remember? when he, he, mm-hmm. Because, first of all, one of the Spectre agents, Count Lippy, runs over and Bond is on this, like, stretching machine. And he does this thing where Bond's stretched out and he comes in and pushes it to maximum stretching, I guess. They were worried about Bond being stretched to death or something. <laughs> so Bond needs to retaliate, right? <laughs> So what does he do? He sees that Lippy's taking a steam bath. It's a health club, after all. And he takes a broom, slides it to trap him in the steam bath. It's like a box. And he turns the heat up to 11. And then he leaves. And then you don't see it. And then like two minutes later, you see Count Lippy talking from a a phone booth. I'm like, what happened there? Are they just like pranking each other? What's going on? Exposition, exposition, exposition in this movie. Over explaining everything. 
scenes underwater. Mm-hmm. There's battles underwater. Some people don't like that. Some people think it's slow. I thought it was pretty cool. The camera work was pretty cutting edge at the time, and it's pretty neat that you can film underwater. I think the cinematography doing that is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that in itself is pretty epic in, that, in this movie. The thing about Thunderball that just was weird to me... It was one that I watched later on. I didn't really watch it in an order. Cause if I you still, just watched Goldfinger, then you watch this. Yeah, I didn't watch it in the right order. So there was a disconnect somewhat. I didn't see this as being anywhere near the top 12. No, I get you. That's just the honest truth. Yeah, well, he has a <laughs> some of the cool gadgets. He has that tape machine in a book that he tracks that guy into the shower. The weird part about this, and this is another stupid thing that happens in this. Mm-hmm. They do some stupid things in the writers, and I don't, I'm still upset with some of this. He, he hears this guy go into his bathroom on the tape. He opens mm-hmm. up the book, he listens to it, and, and he's, he's watching the spaces on the floor where this guy's going, and he's obviously in the bathroom. He starts going into the bathroom, going towards the bathroom, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And he goes there, and it's Felix Leiter. He goes, hey, double O, and he punches him in the stomach, and he covers his mouth, and he's like, shh. And then he goes over to the guy, turns the hot water on really quick, and then he sounds like he's electrocuted. <laughs> and he hits him with the door and knocks him out. Well, he knocks him back into the water. And Lighter goes, is he dead? No. He goes, well, the CIA thanks you. And he goes, <laughs> and then Bond's like, yeah, I, you were going to say 007, so I had to stop you. And it's like, you get out of here. <laughs> like, you just hit him for no reason. And or you let everybody know that he's in the CIA. This guy's a 007. And you can go. <laughs> It was like some of the worst writing. They have those moments. That said, it's a cool story. I like Domino. I like Vargas. I like how he said, Vargas is right behind you. And he turns around and he shoots him with a spear gun. One of the cool things that Bond does in here, he does this, he's hanging out with Largo. And I love that the whole villain Bond, when he gets invited over to the villain's house and they know that he's a villain and they know that Bond is Bond. (laughs) <laughs> and they try and act normal. Yeah. It's a- you must let me show you around. Oh, I'd love that. I thought you might. Would you like to try skeet shooting? <laughs> I don't know if I could. It looks really hard. No, please, try it. And if he shoots from the hip. Oh! Easier. <laughs> Perhaps you'd call one for me. Of course. Oh! Seems terribly difficult. No, it isn't, is it? <laughs> And that was a very Bond moment. It was so cool. All right, let's move to number 11. James Bond investigates a KGB plot to kill all enemy spies and reveals a conspiracy that could affect the globe. And somehow a beautiful cellist may be at the center of it all. Timothy Dalton's first Bond movie is our 11th best Bond movie of all time, The Living Daylights. This is Ross. This is your number 10. This is the media's number 12. It was not on my list. It was originally proposed as a Bond prequel, actually. And it's the last Bond film to be scored by John Barry. And the first time Lois Maxwell didn't play Miss Moneypenny, they had a new Miss Moneypenny in this episode. Carolyn Bliss, who actually played Miss Moneypenny only for the Dalton movies. So it's kind of interesting there. Let's take a listen real quick. Moneypenny, be a dear. Ask records to monitor check publication and news services for me. See if they can find any mention of a woman cellist at the Conservatoire in Bratislava. I didn't know you were such a music lover, James. Anytime you want to drop by and listen to my Barry Manilow collection. 
it's always interesting how they have that Monty Penny swoon or most women swoon when they're around Bond, I guess. But one of the coolest things that most people don't know about The Living Daylights is there was a magic carpet scene that was cut. Are you familiar with this? No. I am going to show you. This is on the DVD in the bonus content. And you're going to start hearing John Glenn in a second, who's the director. Yeah, we found ourselves in Tangier, Morocco, and the scene that I developed, the flying carpet, if you like, it was very much in my mind when we were conceiving the film. But when I actually got to shoot the film, the first thing that I didn't like was the shape of the carpet. It was a bit on the stiff side. Simon Crane, a stuntman on this particular scene, did a, a fabulous job of performing the stunt. But it, it all went too slowly and it was a little bit, uh, wasn't quite up to scratch, I didn't think. So that was a scene that I reluctantly had to drop. like Aladdin and <laughs> this is an audio podcast what happens is Dalton's getting shot at and all of a sudden he grabs this carpet from a vendor right and runs jumps lands on this I guess telephone wire that connects the buildings right and he sits on it and he slides down it and it's a very Roger Moore sort of thing uh-huh you know, as he's going down, I think it would be a perfect Roger Moore. And he goes and he gives him a little wave. Because <laughs> people are like doing double takes. There's this dude on a magic carpet riding across. It's very akin to when they came out of the ocean in The Spy Who Loved Me. If you remember that, when the car drove out of the ocean, that sort of thing. It's that double takes that really kind of over the top. So I thought that was pretty awesome. And the intro is probably one of the best intros ever, pre credit sequences or whatever where they have the double O's parachuting onto this island where they're supposed to participate in war games with SAS and they use paintballs and that sort of thing, but things go wrong. But it's a really cool way to introduce Dalton. There's one part of the intro I kind of want to focus on. Let's just set the stage. As I said, parachuted in, fighting SAS. Somebody starts killing the double O agents, not 007. So 007 chases that person, ends up on a road on the back of a troop transport loaded with explosives, of course. Mm -hmm. They end up going off a cliff. He pulls his chute and the car blows up with the guy who was causing all this problem in it. And Bond ends up landing on this yacht. And of course, there's this beautiful woman on the yacht talking to her friend. There's nothing but playboys and tennis pros. If only I could find a real man. I need to use your phone. She'll call you back. Who are you? Bond, James Bond. Exercise control 007 here. I'll report in an hour. Won't you join me? Better make that too. And then he has sex with her or something. But the, the weird thing is she's talking on the phone and she doesn't realize that about 20 feet from her, a Jeep just exploded and fell into the <laughs> sea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like she's still talking on the phone to her friend in the beginning. I'm like, that thing landed like over there. Yeah. <laughs> that would that would be a distraction. The fact that she didn't notice it. It's uh, crazy. Uh, but the sledding in the cello case was pretty interesting. And the Aston Martin V8 in this is with the laser cutting and the outrigger and the missiles. Here, let me give you a little peek of that. <laughs> Must be an atmospheric anomaly. What is this? 
and a few optional extras installed. <laughs> but anyway, the V8 Aston Martin has an outrigger, it has missiles, it has lasers, it's cop car coming right next to it and shoots it with lasers and cuts it in half. So the guy hits the brakes and the car, the top of the car just flies off of it. It's pretty funny. It's really like a good scene. I really enjoy that. Finishes off with some downhill skiing because it's uh, equipped to do that. <laughs> yeah, it has an outrigger on it and mm-hmm. starts going and then ends up crashing at the end of that. And then it, they switch to the cello case. Mm-hmm. And then they slide, slide down the hill across the border and to declare it to Austria. He goes, Here, wave this! Dog! We've nothing to declare! That's the cello! Nothing is ever. <laughs> I love the way they get Koskov out of East Germany through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. The final battle with Brad Whitaker where he has all these uh, guns set up around all these models. But the cool thing is he has his keychain. Oh, yes. He has explosives and knockout gas. Well, let me just have Q explain it. Kieran, kind of. Surprise me. Now you arm it by pressing that button there. Like that. See? Right. Now wear that. And he puts a uh, gas mask on. Now, whistle the first bars of Rubitania. Stun gas. Effective range, oh, about five feet. Disorientates any normal person for about, oh, 30 seconds. What do I do to blow up the room? Whistle, God save the queen? Well, it so happens, 007, that we've packed the finder with a highly concentrated plastic explosive, sufficient to remove the door of any safe. It's magnetic. The actuating signal is personalized. What's my code? Oh, most appropriate. A wolf whistle. You mean, um... I love the interplay with Q and Bond. Anyway, Bond uses that to blow up Whitaker in that battle. More precisely, to blow up a statue that falls onto Whitaker. That's true. Yeah. I found that there was a little bit too much forced love story with Kara and a little dragging on that, going on the Ferris wheel with her and Mm -hmm. going through all that stuff. Yeah, I get it. It's interesting they had that uh, Saunders death sliding door thing. Like, Saunders, you kind of hate in the beginning, but the character actually grows through it through character development, really. So much so that you kind of feel good about Saunders right before they kill him. (laughs) And that's why Bond gets angry until he just loses control. Pulling a gun on a kid who has a balloon just because he thought he was the person who killed Saunders. I I think that's part of Dalton's character playing Bond. Just had that intensity to it that there was that misplaced anger at times that didn't completely make a whole lot of sense. But when you think about how he was trying to portray the Bond character, it was a change from where Moore had been into something that was gritty, that was maybe a little darker, but had that hard edge to it. So there was an intensity to anything that was anger, basically, I think. With that. Yeah, and he tried to make Bond a real person. Yeah. By making him a real person, he figured people can relate to him. And here's a guy who's dangerous, who kills people for a living, who's hardcore. He was more of the Fleming version as he tried to take it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he tried to act. And also the way that The Living Daylights was written. It wasn't necessarily written for him. It was written before they knew that they had him. And so there's some of the nuance in there, like 
the magic carpet scene that didn't make it. Yeah. But there's, there's, there's the different <laughs> aspects of if Roger Moore came back for this, how would it be? Yeah. So he was still finding his role here. I think when you get to License to Kill, he really is in his space. That's what the hardcore, the darker Bond is. Mm-hmm. So let's close the door on Dalton for now. Let's move to number 10. One of my favorite Bond movies as an adult. When I was younger, maybe not so much. James Bond goes undercover to find Ernst Stavro Blofeld in an allergy research center in the Swiss Alps. And he has all the time in the world. Honor Majesty's Secret Service is my seven. This is the media's eight and our number 10. One thing I learned during researching this podcast that I didn't know is that the woman who played Irma Blunt, the henchwoman who shot Tracy at the end, sorry for the spoiler there, she died three days after the premiere. Oh, wow. In I real didn't life. Know yeah, that. yeah. So she got to see the premiere and then she passed away. Oh, my goodness. So it's, it's kind of sad. People said, well, why wasn't she in Diamonds of Forever? Because, you know, he gets Blofeld, but it doesn't get her. It doesn't get her, And yeah. she was the one who shot Tracy. Shot Tracy, yeah. But if you were ever curious about that, that's the answer. She passed away. Huh. I am Florian Irma Bund, personal secretary to the car. How'd you do? Have you had a good journey? Rest in peace, Irma. That's cool. interesting. Lastly, we actually wanted Bond to cry at the end of the movie because that's what he did in the book. Mm-hmm. When he loses his wife, you kind of figure that's a normal thing, but the director felt that Bond would never cry. So he, he didn't make Bond cry. Interesting. And Lazenby is the only Bond ever to kneel in the barrel sequence. Oh, yes. That and he takes sense. a knee. Yeah. Takes a knee in and that. And shoots when he turns around instead of just turning around instead and shooting. Turning around, yeah. yeah. Huh. Little nuances here. The pre credit scene is great. Saving Tracy from suicide. There's so much action, and it's real gritty action. You can tell that he's really fighting. Plus, it ends with that great line. This never happened to the other fella. Which I think is the first time that Bond ever talks directly to the audience in this whole 25 movies. Huh. But that said, it was appropriate at the time. It was a big change from Connery, and I thought that was great. Another big Bond moment, I think, was he is a bobsled chase with Blofeld. Yes. Which is pretty awesome, I yeah, think. It's natural that in Switzerland, you would find a bobsled thing. It would be a natural way down the mountain. It's such an old-fashioned scene with the, the type of helmet that's in there. And, and yeah. I've just watched bobsledding at the Olympics just a few weeks ago. It's so radically different in its reality from where Blofeld is escaping from his sled. It's weird if you think about the time sequence. First, Bond shoots at him a little bit as he's taking off down the track. Mm-hmm. Then he runs into the shed, grabs a bobsled, puts a helmet on, goes, and next thing he's right behind him. Yeah. It's not, that's not reality in right, a sense. Right. He'd be already pretty much down at the be end. Gone, yeah. And you'd have a minute or two that you'd have to catch him later. But that said, it's a good sequence. And when he, not for the last time, tries to kill Blofeld, he puts him up in this tree. And, of course, delivers uh, James Bond quip. Yeah. He's branched off. (laughs) And you see Blofeld up there completely passed out in the tree. Yes. But the thing is that he somehow survives. There are numerous times within these movies that there's an opportunity to kill the actual villain, but you don't see the actual villain dying. There is another one, which which we'll probably get to later, but Bond leaves the villain in the middle of a desert. You know, and he doesn't die, but he's out there and it's like, Okay, why didn't you, you know, actually just get rid of him? You want to give him a chance to come back and get you again? I mean, what's the Oh, I know. Bond is the worst for that. Almost every villain has an opportunity to kill Bond. 
Goldfinger traps him with a nuclear bomb. Moonraker puts him underneath where the shuttle's going to launch from. It's like, Dr. No, just shoot him. Boom, dead. No more movies. But that's not what Dr. No does. He gives him fancy clothes, has dinner with him. He has his goons beat him up. And then he puts him in a cell to torture and kill later. But he leaves, and he leaves a human-sized vent in the cell so Bond can escape. But that's the same thing that happens with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, where he puts him in the storage room by the ski lift. No wonder Austin Powers was so successful in picking on this trope. What are you, feeding him? Why don't you just kill him? No, Scott, I have an even better idea. I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. Why don't you just shoot him now? I mean, I'll go get a gun. We'll shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang! Dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, though. It's so true. The fight scenes seem just more authentic with Lazenby. He's Australian, which is weird for a Bond. But he's still so very Bond. It's it's interesting that that Piz Gloria place, which was the location of Blofeld's allergy center, yeah. allergy center, is also used in another movie with Richard Burton, and it was a World War II movie called The Eagle Has Landed, and it was the Eagle's Lair okay. in, in that particular movie. Same location up there in the Swiss Alps. It's a great place. It's a it has has tremendous. Have you been? Huh? Have you been? I've seen it. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. That was one of my favorite movies a long time ago. My favorite, one of my favorite wartime movies of all okay. time. You know, so my favorite is the Thirty Dozen. <laughs> no, <laughs> what a shock! <laughs> you see what I did there? I saw what you did there. <laughs> the arc and the love story between. Let's just talk about the love story between Tracy and Bond mm-hmm. as it grows. It's not this immediate love, and as the movie goes on. You see them naturally coming together. Mm. It feels real mm-hmm. as opposed to forced. Yeah. Bond falls in love with her and they actually get married. Yeah. And she dies at the end. Spoiler, sorry. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed the whole looking at Bond as a real person. Yeah. In this and the character development of Bond. I think he grew more in this film than probably all the other films combined. This is a personal insight into Bond as a person, not necessarily as a spy, but it opened him up to something everybody could see was real pain. I agree with you. There's a deep emotional relationship. But, and the, the thing that you make a very important point about is that there seems to just be a natural coming together of the two of them that is not forced. It's not something that's that's out of place. And, and there is... As a result, a real trauma to Bond at the end yeah. of this particular movie. Every other movie ends on an up note. Yeah, this one ends on a complete downer. It's like, oh, geez, you know, here he is, and he's she's been been shot and killed, and she's just in his arms at the end of the movie. There. It's Blofeld. It's Blofeld. Caesar dead. Cut to a car pulling up, and. Bond holds Tracy in his arms, stroking her hair. It's all right. It's quite all right, really. She's having a rest. We'll be going on soon. There's no hurry, you see. We have all the time in the world. Powerful stuff. If you're more interested in the character of Bond, this is a good movie for you. If you're looking for the full action, the most action-packed Bond movie, this probably isn't the one for you. There's action in it, but I, I really love this movie. 
Yeah, I, I was just thinking about that scene is so profound and it's so human in its nature. And so much of the death in Bond movies is kind of trivialized. Depending on who's playing Bond, yeah. That is absolutely true. This one sort of brings a gravitas to the whole aspect of, of death, in a sense. But it's because there's that deep emotional bond. Okay. Speaking of emotional bonds, our number nine was on everybody's list. This was my number 11. This is your number nine. And this was the media's number seven. James Bond has retired when Felix Leiter and an old friend from the CIA turn up asking Bond for help. He comes up against a mysterious enemy armed with dangerous nanotechnology. Daniel Craig proves what he's cooking in our number nine, No Time to Die. And Ross, you had this higher on your list, so why don't you lead us off, my friend? This movie, obviously the most recent Bond movie, for those of you who haven't seen it. Beware, there are spoilers ahead. <laughs> See it now. Yes. <laughs> It's definitely worth a watch. You know, what's really interesting about this movie is it ties many different storylines together. It opens up with a flashback scene where Madeline is in her childhood home and her dad is not there. Her dad is not present. Her dad's Mr. White. So. Yes. And this uh, assassin, Safin, comes in to basically kill her mom. Of course, he's there to kill her dad, but he kills her mom. And then he spares her life. And then it cuts to Bond being retired, living his new life with Madeline in Italy. And Bond is quite happy. He seems to be in a good space. And it flows directly from the last movie, which was Spectre. Exactly. And as Spectre ends, this movie kind of picks up. Besides that's the flashback. Thanks yeah. You have Bond there enjoying his new life in Italy. And he goes off to go and visit Vesper Lynn's family tomb. He's attacked by a bunch of Spectre agents led by Primo. You know, right out the gate, you've got a phenomenal scene with the Aston Martin where he is engaged in a chase around this Italian town trying to escape from the Spectre people. Uh, and the Aston Martin using weaponry out of the car, the car getting blown to pieces and not falling apart. Yeah, the Gatling gun is pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he has it upgraded. This is one of my favorite pre-credit scenes in any James Bond movie, period, I think. Yeah. He jumps from the bridge, his cars are attacking him, he dives behind a brick to avoid getting run over by a car coming at full speed. Then comes one of my favorite stunts, period, is when he jumps off the bridge with the rope. Solid. And mind you, this is still in the pre-credit sequence which is why I love it so. But it continues. Gets on a motorcycle and jumps, and then he gets into the Aston Martin and does what you're talking about. But then some plot points really start to move with Madeline, and she gets a call on the phone, which really makes her appear to be the bad guy, or bad girl in this case. Pick it up! Blofeld, my love, your father would be so proud of you. Your sacrifice will be our glory. So this is meant to have Bond throw suspicion on Madeline, and it works. James, why? Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. Uh, Bond puts two and two together that Madeline was the person who told him to go to see Vesper's grave. Yes. And he opened up about a secret that he still had feelings for her. Vesper, that is. And that's when she asked for closure and that he go to visit the grave. And when 
he gets back, she'll tell him her secrets. So I do this, and then... I'll tell you all my secrets. Okay. And the sad thing is that the secret is that she's pregnant with Bond's child, but she never has the opportunity to tell him, and it really goes south. So Bond stops the car and has all of these Spectre agents start shooting at him. So he's sitting there getting shot at at almost point-blank range until Bond finally breaks. Like, you can see the emotion in Bond during that scene, and then he's like, okay, let me go handle this, and then he steps on it and shoots all of the people with the Gatling gun Mm -hmm. and, you know, escapes the way a DB5 will allow you to escape Yes, with smoke (laughs) and... Oil slicks and all sorts of things, and all those things that naturally come as the as the pu- right. purchase package off the street. Right. And, and then he, he chases <laughs> off, and and then he goes to a train station and puts her on it. So this is it. This is it. How will I know that you're okay? You won't. You'll never see me again. He puts her on that, the train, and you see her holding her stomach and visibly upset. Yes. Which is because she's pregnant, but yes. nobody knows that at the time. So, that that scene was pretty emotional. Yeah. But you didn't understand it at the moment when you're seeing it the first time. But when you go back and you see it the second time, you definitely see it. Yeah. And this is why I believe this is one of the best pre-credit scenes in any Bond movie. Yeah. So then it transitions into something which is, you know, very relevant in our day and age and was pretty profound coming out in a movie in 2021, which is the use of a bioweapon. Heracles was developed by Obrachev. And and this was already done in, it was pretty much the movie was done in 2019. Yes. And it was ready to be out in 2020, but it was just waiting for a timing thing. Yeah. And when uh, COVID hit. And COVID hit, but then, you know, the world is dealing with COVID and here we're dealing with, in this movie, something that is akin to that, which was really quite fascinating. And you could see parallels in in pop culture and society with that. So I thought that was all very, very interesting in this movie. You know, you have uh, Felix Leiter showing up and in Jamaica where Bond is, you know, asking him for help in dealing with this and... Uh, I just find it fascinating. Bond Bond sailed off to Cuba without a passport, but that you know, and it was. <laughs> have you ever read *Prey* by Michael Crichton? I have not. Fantastic book if you want to read it. It's all about nanotechnology. Okay. And how it kind of gets loose and goes crazy. Isn't Michael Crichton book would mm-hmm. do? I had read that a long while ago. Mm-hmm. So when they start talking about nanotechnology, I was on board. I know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. And I know a lot of people weren't in that boat when yeah. they saw this the first time. So it's pretty interesting. If you ever want to get into that a little bit more and you like the suspense type of book, read Prey by Michael Crichton. That's P-R-E-Y. The, no Time to Die is... One of my favorite movies of all time until I get to Saffin's Island, and then it's one of my worst movies of all time. Because I don't understand the plot. I don't understand Saffin's motivation. I understand Saffin's motivation to get back at Spectre, totally with. But his whole plot to kill half the population and do this sort of thing that he's trying to do at the end of the movie. There's no point in this movie where I see it 
why is he infatuated with Madeline? And why is he infatuated with Matilde? What is the reason for that? That he creates this whole organization. I don't mind. Here's a spoiler. If you haven't seen No Time to Die yet, this next segment will ruin the movie for you. Fast forward like five minutes, okay? Here it comes. Bond dies in this movie. And I understand if you think of the arc, right? Vesper. Serial monogamy. He's not sleeping around with everybody. Inspector, he falls in love with Madeline, and that love continues into this movie. He's going to have a family. You can't do that and be a secret agent. It doesn't go with the lifestyle. So for somebody who writes James Bond movies, there's really only two ways they can go. Quit the service and raise a family, and then you can be like M and have a desk job, right? Or you have to kill the character off. Mm-hmm. My problem is... Not that they chose option number two. My problem is that they they kill him in a way that's almost suicide. He's not saving the world by doing it. He's not doing anything but standing up there killing himself. Because he can't touch his wife or his kid at the moment. Because technology changes over time. I wish it was in a battle with Blofeld that he had a hold him down while a bomb was going off. Some reason that he was dying. I want Sherlock Holmes, Moriarty, wrestling, falling over the falls. That's what I want. And this was not that. And that's why the ending upset me so much. For me personally, it's Bond committing suicide. Because he's sad and he's only thinking about himself. Because he's clearly not thinking about his wife and kids. Because one day he would figure out how to be with them. Heck, even Zooming is better than losing your father. For no other reason than that. And why couldn't we wait 20 minutes for those bombs to hit? Safin's dead. Why don't we just kill Safin and then have the troops come in and make everything safe? You know, there there was no reason for those missiles to be flying at that time. Mm -hmm. There was no reason whatsoever for all that to happen. When they have this final battle, Safin, who's probably... Who's a strange villain, but he's a villain without a purpose. And he's one of the weakest villains in the catalog, which is why it kills me that that's how he dies. He has this thing where all of a sudden he knows he's going to fight Bond. So he took Matilda and Madeline and he's going to take their blood and put them into this matrix that he's going to kill them because of their DNA or something with nanobots. We're... It's a huge stretch just even saying that, right? Mm -hmm. So that that happens and they can't be destroyed and they can't. So if he touches them ever in his life, they're going to die. So he kills himself, which is what happens. Which is why I just, after Safin's dead already, after all this is dead already. And for me, that's the problem with this movie. Two thirds of the movie, one of the best bonds ever. One third of the movie, just a freaking weird way to end it. I have a slightly different take on this, Rob, and sure. and I think I've I've expressed this to you previously, but my take is based upon what happens right at the end of the credits for this movie, where it says James Bond will return. 
And so when you see that and you've seen the scene that, that basically ends the movie and it certainly looks like it's kind of like a suicidal death because there's no reason for it and Madeline and, and Matilda are safe and so is Double O, whatever her name is, uh, Nomi. Yeah, Naomi. Double um, Seven. Double, yeah. yeah, well, she was... she was. Well, she's no longer in Double Seven at the end because yeah. she relinquished the, the number to him. That is correct. She relinquished the number back to him. And so, yes, there's a direct strike upon the bunker facility where Bond is standing there and, you you know, it looks like there's complete devastation and everything. Well, I mean, you see that the bombs hit all around him and there's explosions all around him and you yeah. see his body standing there. So... Yeah. You, you assume that he's dead. I, having watched, you know, all 25 Bond movies, choose not to make that assumption at this point in time because especially if the end of the credit says James Bond will return, I expect James Bond to return, you know, with... In some the prequel. <laughs> in, in, in the prequel of the next movie, you know, crawling out of a little uh, space between two huge layers of concrete that somehow he fell into and, and it didn't, like, fall on him. Well, think, so, about, think about Casino Royale, right? Mm-hmm. When Casino Royale... We had Casino Royale, Quantum, Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die, right? Yeah. Those stand alone. It's not interchanged. You know what I mean? It's not part of the other space. So it's the arc of Daniel Craig's Bond. The arc, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and in a certain space, they'll reboot it and have... Whoever else is Whoever, Bond. the next Bond, yeah. starting from the beginning and run through it again, but it'll be different, yeah. you know, depending on what's current. Well, you know, it does And it may be Russia again at this point. It, it, could, it could well be. It could be Russia. It could be China. It could be an entire thing on human trafficking. I mean, who knows where, where it's right, going right, to yeah. go. But you are correct in the sense that the arc of that set of stories did kind of conclude with that. And it's Daniel um, Craig is not coming back, in other words. Daniel Craig, well, we know that. that, <laughs> right. that, that you know, but, but I think that that means I mean, if they would start a new one anyway, mm -hmm. they would start fresh. I, yeah. I don't think they're building off the end of it. I think they're yeah. just starting in a new space. And... The interesting thing, this is just a complete sidebar, and it's something to think about. The director for this movie is uh, Fukunaga. I hope I'm not messing up the pronunciation on that. F-U-K-U-N-A-G-A. -A. Fukunaga mm -hmm. is the director of No Time to Die. He originally said, Inspector, Spectre the movie, not Inspector Gadget. Okay. A needle is injected into Bond's head where he's supposed to forget everything. Mm-hmm. And he, at one point, wanted the original twist to be the first two acts of this movie to all be inside Bond's head. So, we could have a Dallas Bobby waking up, realizing that the whole last season for him, or movie for us didn't actually happen but he just dreamed it <laughs> that's also a whole completely like bizarre twist but yeah that, that's what he literally yeah. was proposing yeah. coming into it and it's just kind of interesting he got the job just saying there's a couple cool scenes in this that we didn't talk about mm -hmm. number one primo it's this whole idea that he is blofeld's eye blofeld is actually looking and controlling things that are happening outside his cell which is pretty awesome but mm -hmm. even without that when he fights with Bond near the end of the movie, Bond has the EMP watch and he's wrestling with him and he twists it and he 
short circuits his eye yes and his eye explodes in his head <laughs> i thought that was one of the most awesome things i've ever seen saying goodbye to felix Leiter, i thought was way more emotional than saying goodbye to bond at the end which is so strange i thought it was like what the hell happened with bond but felix went i felt the emotion of it like yeah. this is something that he can't avoid yeah. that happened uh, in this real quick clip logan ash had just shot Felix Slider, he fell down some stairs. Bond gets locked in with him. I don't know about you, but I get a feeling in my gut. Ash might not be on our side. We need to have a conversation about the company you keep. I'm with you. That's a lot of blood. Uh, this might be my last mission. What do you think? I think you're just looking for an excuse not to help me. Uh, there you go. Uh, Aloma, she gave me a cigar for you to smoke, and you are going to smoke it too. Nice. But maybe you should hold on to that for now. You just stay put. Keep the pressure on that. I'm going to find us a way out. I'll be over here. Ash, the guy who just shot him, sets a mine on the back of the boat and will sink the vessel that they're currently on. And that's going to be all for Felix, I think. You know, Felix, we really need to stop meeting. This doesn't look good. Come on, Felix. We've been worse than this. Let's go. It's like back when I was a kid. On that shrimp boat. You're from Milwaukee. Am I? I thought I made that up. Just let me go. Let me go. You got this. Yeah. Yeah. Make it worth it. James, it's a good life, isn't it? The best. Felix. I think your observation that this is more emotional than Bond's death, it's because you actually see him die. You actually see the reality of his death. It's raw and it's real right there. He's not coming back. He has been shot, he's bled to death, and he's drowning to death all at the same time. And he just vanishes and disappears quietly into the deep water and you never see him again. The character of Felix Leiter has been there from the beginning. It's the quintessential Bond sidekick character through thick or thin, and for him to die in this way was kind of sad. Well, so. if you think about No Time to Die, they kill everybody. All of Bond's enemies. Mm -hmm. Blofeld dies. Blofeld dies. All Spectre is gone. Yeah. They kill Bond. They kill his friends. Well, some of his friends, at least. We're just going to wipe the slate clean and start anew with something fresh. Yeah. Speaking of something fresh, let's move on to our next movie. All right, so that was number nine, No Time to Die. <laughs> number nine. And number eight, this is on all of our lists. This is on my eight. This is your six. The media's number 11, James Bond goes rogue to infiltrate and take down an organization that tortured Felix Leiter and killed his wife. One of the most violent Bond movies ever is our number eight, License to Kill. Do you want to take the lead or you want me to so go? You can take the lead on this one. Um, okay. 
Uh, this is the first Bond movie not filmed at Pinewood Studios or the UK. They were trying to avoid, they had some new tax laws in, so they had to find a different place to do it. The original title was License Revoked, but it was changed because the studio thought people were stupid and most people associate with the phrase license revoked as the withdrawal of a driver's license, which is insane. <laughs> they originally wanted to make this in China, and the story changed because China insisted on having editing rights, hmm. and uh, they didn't want to do that. So it almost was entirely in China, which would have been interesting. Mm -hmm. Also interesting, at the end of this movie, where they had these, all these truck scenes, right? They had this section of road that they were allowed to use, and the cast members believe that the road that they were filming on at the end of the scene was haunted. Hmm. A lot of weird stuff happened. Professional drivers driving erratically where they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to share a clip by uh, John Glenn, the director, and Arthur Wooster, who was the second unit director. And there's a, one small comment from the special effects supervisor. Several things happened up there which at Rome Rosso which were unexplained. Guards saw apparitions walking around the car park where we kept all our trucks. And when challenged, they disappeared. There were trucks mysteriously burst into flames in the middle of the night. One night, there was one truck actually started moving and sort of went off and sort of stopped itself against the wall. With no one on the controls. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Hmm. And they have this one shot a still captured during the final explosion at the end of the movie that you see a hand and an arm coming out from the fire like it was put in their CGI. Oh, wow. So evidently the crew really still to this day believes it's haunted. For me, License to Kill was just brutal. It's all about drug lords and it's realistic. One of the high points, uh, Benicio Del Toro is fantastic as Dario. Sanchez is henchman. Carrie Lowell as Pam Pouvoir is also spot on. And Wayne Newton as Professor Joe Butcher as comic relief. Come on. He was amazing. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless <laughs> he steals the money back from Joe. And he's, Bless your heart. I think one of the best scenes is when he scubas in to break up the drug deal. And then he water skis behind the plane using a harpoon to attach himself to it. But barefoot pulls himself onto the plane and leaves with the plane and the money, which ties into a better scene later when he frames Milton Crest for stealing the money. And that scene is one of the most brutal death scenes ever. So let's just look at that. That's not my money. I swear. That's right in the middle. It's mine. You think I'm stupid? You rip me off, then use my own money to pay someone to kill me! You want it so bad. I'm fighting! He puts him in this depressurization tank and turns the pressure up to simulate the highest pressure he can get. And then he takes an axe and pops it, which puts all this pressure onto Milton Crest and his head pretty much explodes. Gives new meaning to the term blood money. One of the most gruesome scenes ever. <laughs> so something about the Sanchez character in the movie, played by Robert Darby, is that Darby is the perfect 
in my opinion, is, is, is like one of the perfect castings of a Mexican drug lord that you could possibly find. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. They did a really good job in casting that role simply because he reminds me of the Pablo Escobar type sure, of character absolutely. Yeah, yeah. in Narcos, the same type of character. And it's, it's just so well cast. He is a method actor. Mm-hmm. So he was walking out of the town acting like he was a drug lord. <laughs> Going into bars and having people scared to death of him mm-hmm. because of the way he was so flagrant. And obviously, he could have pissed somebody off unintentionally, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, people were scared of him. <laughs> well, it's not surprising. He just looks the part. The truck scenes at the end, the plane landing on the trucks, the stunt work that's done in this movie is pretty profound. You already talked about the fact that, that they, you know, had some pretty bizarre things happen there sure, with sure. all that. But but it still is remarkable when you think about the... Subscribe to 30 Dozen Podcasts. I don't know. That was some weird voice. You hear that? <laughs> <laughs> it came from the road in Mexico. Subscribe <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, what's that? I'm scared. I'm yeah. Scared. As you referenced there, just a gritty, brutal, real movie that, you know, makes you think twice. Just that scene that we just looked at there with the exploding head. You hadn't seen anything near to that in terms of real in Bond, yeah. in Bond you know, at all. So Yeah. Dalton, I think, did what Craig did, but much earlier and before people were ready for it. Yeah. No, very true. Yeah. Great film. Our number eight. Let's move on to our number seven. Mm. The first Bond movie ever. James Bond investigates the disappearance of an agent and uncovers a man with one hand and a plot that could change the world. James Bond's first mission is our number seven overall, Dr. No. This was my 10, your seven, and the media's number three. The weirdest thing in the research for this, the original screenplay for Dr. No, they hired somebody to do it before the person who actually did it did it. And he came up with Dr. No as a monkey. What? This is literally the villain had a monkey with him in every scene. But the twist was, at the end, the monkey was the one who was in control. <laughs> I'm really glad they changed that one. <laughs> but that was actually true. So, one of the other really weird things about Dr. No that most people don't know is that Lois Maxwell, who plays... Miss Money Miss Penny, Penny. Uh, was originally hired to play Sylvia Trench. Oh, really? In Doctor No, okay. but she didn't come off as sexy as they wanted, uh-huh. so they pushed her to the Miss Money Penny role uh-huh. since they hired her already. <laughs> so she went to Miss Money Penny, and I think of the two roles that I'd want uh-huh. as a more substantial line of income over my career, mm-hmm. the Miss Money Penny role is the much better role. <laughs> Yeah. Because she was in almost every Bond movie. It was the lasting role of all of them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was interesting is... But she didn't get to sleep with Bond, I guess. Yes. (laughs) No, she didn't. What was interesting, I also saw that she and Connery and actually Roger Moore, they were all professionally trained at the Royal Academy of the Arts, which was rather interesting. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. There was a commonality between them. You know, Dr. No being the original Bond movie, uh, we reflected on this earlier, was that there was no pre- Quill sequence in this movie. Right. And kind of goes directly into this fascinating scene where you've got these three blind dudes wandering around on the island to the tune of three blind mice. It's just got this Caribbean beat to it. They shoot John Strangeways, who's a Secret Service agent, 
And the next thing, this hearse pulls up, they toss his body in the back of the hearse and they all haul off in the hearse together. For me, that was a, an interesting sort of introduction to the whole sort of Bond movie because it's like the first thing you have is a dead body. Just about. Right, right, right. You know? yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> the concept of this movie is there's been some disruption of rocket launches at Cape Canaveral, CIA is involved in it. This is the first time we see Bond working with Felix Leiter and Quarrel, who's got the boat that takes them over to, you know, to Crab Key where Dr. No is. Oh, there's a dragon here too. She's right. <laughs> and then you have the introduction of the very first Bond girl, Ursula Andress, who's playing Honey, Honey Rider. Rider. You have that classic scene where she comes out of the ocean. Underneath the mango tree, my honey and me. Who is that? It's all right. I'm not supposed to be here either. I take it you're not. Are you alone? What are you doing here? Looking for shells? No, I'm just looking. <laughs> that is my favorite line ever. <laughs> looking for shells? No, I'm just looking. <laughs> it's one of the most iconic female roles mm -hmm. from a sex symbol point of view. When she's walking out of the ocean, you know, in her bikini. Bikini, yeah. It was kind of groundbreaking at the time as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. But in this movie, we get introduced to Spectre in this movie. Although... There's no cats involved. There's no, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no Blofelds. It's just, I work for Spectre. Right? I thought that you would work for Spectre. You're just a detective. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is where Dr. No kind of loses, you know, faith in who Bond is. And just in trying to provoke me, Mr. Bond. I could have had you killed in the swamp. And why didn't you? I thought you less stupid. Usually when a man gets in my way. But you were different. You cost me time, money, effort. You damaged my organization and my pride. I was curious to see what kind of a man you were. I thought there might even be a place for you with Spectre. Unfortunately, I misjudged you. You are just a stupid policeman. It's interesting, the whole plot of this movie. I have these issues with plot holes. Jamaica is a long way from Cape Canaveral. And I think it's safe to assume that Crab Key is very close to Jamaica. They're taking small boats to get there. So I'm going to lump it together just for this example. Yes. It's a two-hour flight to Cape Canaveral <laughs> from Jamaica. It's like being in Alabama or Mississippi and disrupting a launch in Washington, D.C. <laughs> it just seems like a far stretch. Heck of a long way away from the Jamaica. Jamaica's no sense. <laughs> Jamaica's no sense at all. But for most people, they don't know that where that is. So yeah, no, kinda... no. Exactly. Uh, here's a couple other things. Mm -hmm. I'll just go through my problem. Yes. Death by tarantula, really? <laughs> How half-assed is that plan? <laughs> Tarantulas aren't generally poisonous, which is just something that people don't know. Yes. They'll bite you and it'll hurt, but it really generally won't kill, kill you unless you. you're elderly with a heart condition or something. But they are scary looking. The fact that you would leave a tarantula in a room to kill somebody is just never going to happen. <laughs> and plus, it's the worst way to kill somebody. I mean, come on. It's like knowing Bond, poison is vodka. Yeah. And it's done, right? You're, you're, it's all set. Very quickly, I have two more. And the driver who picks him up in Jamaica, drives them to nowhere, and then commits suicide before talking about it. 
big plot holes. Make no sense. Yes. And uh, <laughs> the hitmen are masquerading as blind men, and they're probably known locally, and it's clear they're not blind. <laughs> that's all I got. The thing with this movie that's interesting is you get introduced to, to Sylvia Trench. It's the first time that you actually see a golf scene in a Bond movie. Yes, um, the first one. There you go. Very first one. She's playing carpet golf, and she's wearing little else in the movie. Um, and so you don't know that Ross is a professional golfer, so he may think of that. <laughs> That's a sidebar. Yeah. I am a professional mini golfer. <laughs> well, professional in the fact that I once took money from a friend. <laughs> there we go. You actually see Sylvia Trench as his love interest go through into From Russia with Love as well. Although he doesn't send the note about that to her. He sends it to Was Money Sylvia Pity. Trench in From Russia with Love? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. I never realized that. Yes. So she's in both of those movies. There was a couple of really cool lines. The first one is being chased by the hearse down that curvy road. And they crash and go off a cliff. And this happens. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie. How did it happen? I think they were on their way to a funeral. I think they were on the way to a funeral. <laughs> It's one of the first Bond quips. There you go. One of my favorite scenes is what I kind of mentioned before was when Dr. No is having dinner with Bond, but there's two other quotes in there that are fantastic and I need to talk about them. So this is the first one. This is a short one. The successful criminal brain is always superior. It has to be. That was really quick. <laughs> and the successful criminal, criminal brain, brain is always superior. superior. It has to be. Mm. It has to be ahead of the law. Mm. and stuff so that's why Dr. No says he's awesome and then Bond comes back with this quip oh, we can't all be geniuses can we tell me does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands my favorite line ever <laughs> <laughs> tell me does the toppling of American missiles compensate for having no hands <laughs> we gotta make sure to remember that this is an unknown actor mm -hmm. Sean Connery getting his first real major role and uh, it's such a great debut performance for him what a good way to start off the bond series that was number seven dr no now we're in the top six and you know what bond we haven't talked about yet roger moore that is correct bond partners with a sexy kgb agent to find missing submarines all while being ambushed by a metal teeth assassin Will they be able to stop a madman from starting a nuclear war? Bond keeps the British end up in our number six Bond movie of all time, The Spy Who Loved Me. Jaws was supposed to actually die in this movie. He but, was? Yeah, but he ended up being so liked, Richard Keel, mm -hmm. in his portrayal of Jaws, that he ended up surviving and coming back from Moonraker. Mm -hmm. This is the first theme song in all of the Bond movies without the title of the movie in it. Hmm. This is Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon. Mm -hmm. This is the first movie without Saltzman. This is after he sold the right to United Artists. Okay. So this was basically Cubby Broccoli. That's true. He's the only producer in the credits, at least. In the novel, it's interesting. You know when they're at the pyramids and Jaws kills Vakash? Yeah. Then Bond holds him at gunpoint and he disappears. And then the Russian agents jump him. Yeah, Triple X okay, is yeah. kind of watching it. Mm -hmm. That's not what happens in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's different from the book. In the novel, he's tortured by scrotal electrocution <laughs> by the Russian agents. After horror, which is the Jaws character in the mm -hmm. book, kills the contact in Egypt. <laughs> Much more appropriate 
setting to the way they did it in the movie, though. Yes. <laughs> kind of like it. This is the first mention of his wife after On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. What an unexpected pleasure. Welcome to the Majava Club. Buy you a drink? Major Amasavan? Or may I call you Triple X? So you know who I am? You made quite an impression. Commander James Bond. Recruited to the British Secret Service from the Royal Navy. Licensed to kill and has done so on numerous occasions. Many lady friends, but married only once. Wife killed... All right, and... you've made your point. You're sensitive, Mr. Bond. About certain things, yes. Yeah, it's it's a great movie. Originally, what? Stromberg in this mm-hmm. movie was supposed to be Blofeld. Oh, really? But the whole Kevin McClory thing. Okay, that kind of messed shut that, that up. down. So then they changed the name of the character. Interesting. So one of my favorite mo- uh, scenes in the movie is when Bond escapes in the Lotus Esprit that turns into a submarine. Can you swim? <gasps> That was one of the first cool adaptations of a car. You think about the fact that they had adapted a car to a submarine in this one. In Man with the Golden Gun, the car became a plane. It was a theme through some of these Moore movies. You have that little plane that was in the horse's carriage in Octopussy, the beginning of Octopussy. It flies up and pulls up to a gas station. Bond says, fill her up, please. (laughs) There was a lot of gadgetry, gimmicky type of vehicle stuff. I think the the Lotus Esprit in The Spy Who Loved Me is second only to the DB5 in Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. As far as iconic Bond cars, yeah, all the things that it did, it had the, I guess it's oil or ink that it did underwater. Remember mm-hmm. when it, it sprayed that? It yeah. had the missiles, obviously. The missile lock, which was great. Mm-hmm. The torpedoes, the whole fact that it changes into a submarine. I love it when Anya's in there hitting the buttons for him. And mm-hmm. How did you know about that? I stole the blueprints of this car two years ago. <laughs> But there's a couple of small plot holes in this as well. When Bond initially goes to meet Fakesh at his office, before he knows he's at the pyramids, and this woman comes up to him and tries to convince Bond that he'll be back later, then of course starts making out with him, because he's Bond, right? And the second tier henchman who reports to Jaws, Sandor, comes with a gun and points it through the window at Bond. He goes, mm-hmm. no, no. And she turns around and takes the bullet for Bond. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, did you know this plan coming in? <laughs> and is Bond such a great kisser that you're going to give your life for him in that second? It's crazy. That That, the- is, that is potentially a hole there. <laughs> like she has an advanced sort of like heads up to what's going on. So, But one of my favorite things in this is Roger Moore tends to not be that brutal as Bond. Mm-hmm. But after that scene, mm-hmm. he chases Sandor onto the roof mm-hmm. and has one of my favorite scenes in the whole Bond, at least the Roger Moore Bond, occurs right after they have this big battle between Sandor and Bond, which I was just talking about. And they're on the roof, and Sandor starts falling, so he grabs Bond's tie. West Peckish. Where's Peckish? Pyramids! Ah! What a helpful chap. <laughs> That's my favorite line <laughs> of the movie. Where's, 
<laughs> Where's Fekish? Pyramids. And he slaps the tie off. Let's think I follow his death. It's like, helpful chap. <laughs> what a helpful chap. Very good stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Barbara Bach is probably one of my favorite Bond girls of all time. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. And she married Ringo Starr. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I don't in, know In that. real life, yeah. Huh. So. Interesting. Oh, do you notice that Stromberg doesn't shake hands? you know why? Why? He has webbed hands. Oh. They only show it in one scene, and it's really brief. Hmm. But the character in the book does. He has webbed hands, so he doesn't want to shake hands because he doesn't want to show off his... He's webbed hands. hands. Yeah. Okay. Which makes sense if you want to live under the water so you can swim better. <laughs> yeah. He's in the city of Atlantis. Yes, he can swim. Oh, by the way, I have one more issue. Here you go. Can you really fit three submarines into this ship? No. But then, you know, Stromberg's super tanker, the Leparis, could have been pretty huge. So who knows? Okay. The only other problem is Roger Moore was one of my favorite Bonds, and this is one of his best movies ever, and I think it's his best movie ever. The only problem I have is the one scene where they're at the ruins. Anya and he are in the truck, and Joe starts ripping it apart. I still love the scene, but Bond just does quip after quip after quip so much that it's just overbearing. Too many quips. Too many quips. And here's what I'm talking about. The key! Try the big one. Can you play any other tune? Let's try reverse. That's backwards. Would you like me to try it? Women drivers. Quiet. Watch this. Shaken, but not stirred. I love that scene. <laughs> But he's like women drivers. He's just like, he's just like quip after quip after quip after quip. Would you like me to drive? What other tunes do you play? <laughs> Try the big one. <laughs> oh, so funny. And of course, you have Jaws at the end of that. Try to lift up a boulder to throw it at him. Drops and he drops. And he drops. <laughs> it's on his foot. Which is this premier assassin just looks like a dolt or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so. That's pretty funny. But anyway, that was Spy Who Loved Me. What an amazing, amazing film. Very good movie. Uh, number six overall. Let's move to number five. Okay. Number five. Top five. One of the best games ever, but a Russian crime syndicate steals a secret satellite weapon called GoldenEye, and James Bond must stop an old friend from using it. No more foreplay for our number five Bond of all time. GoldenEye. Here's Brosnan's first James Bond ever. This is my five and your four and the media's ten. Ross, you can start us off, my friend. So, yeah, I mean, GoldenEye has probably, as I said early on, in my opinion, the best prequel scene of all the Bond movies. You're introduced to what you said was the best villain in Alec Trevelyan, who, you know, essentially is a double agent. Bond doesn't even realize who he is. One of my favorite scenes is just before he meets Yanis, who turns out to be Trevelyan, he meets Vladimir Zakovsky which is Robbie Coltrane's character. Bukowski is the other crime lord. Walter PPK, 7.65 millimeter. Only three men I know use such a gun. I believe I've killed two of them. Lucky me. I think not. James Bond. 
charming, sophisticated secret agent. <laughs> Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> so you haven't lost your delicate sense of humor, Valentine, huh? All you need for an audience. I'm strangling the cat. Strangling a cat. That is Irina, my mistress. Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> Strangling the cat. <laughs> That's my mistress. <laughs> this is one of my favorite movie for Bond quotes ever. But uh, yes. you can continue for a second, and that. But I definitely have a lot of more. Okay. Bond well, quotes. I think you need to bring up the quotes. I mean, the thing that is interesting about this movie, one of my favorite uh, Bond female villains, Zinya on a top. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, okay, and. The f- her method of crushing her victims is just of great. course she crushes men to death with her thighs <laughs> an all-time classic and it's great and she tries to crush bond yes and he has one of the best sayings ever which i kind of alluded to in the intro to this but here we go quick setup they're in a sauna and zinya has her legs wrapped around bond <laughs> One of the interesting things is when they filmed that scene, Pierce Brosnan and Famke Jansen, who plays Zinya on the top, Famke told Pierce to throw her against the wall real hard. And in that scene that you just saw, yeah, when he slammed her against the wall, mm-hmm. he broke her ribs. Oh, wow. In real life. Huh. But the pain that was in her eyes actually added to the scene, so she was very happy about it. Okay. Of all the henchmen you want to get killed by, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. And, uh, sorry, I apologize, Barry, if you were listening to this. There's a couple other quotes that I really love. And the, one of the best performances in this whole movie, this is just filled with wonderful performances. Alan Cummings plays Boris in this. Boris, yes. And his I am invincible. My is the, name is, is Boris. Is Boris. <laughs> you take it with you, but all this awesome, like, you know, riddles and such. But one of my favorite scenes is he's just like, I am invincible. <laughs> Bam! Gone! I am invincible! My favorite one has to be the one towards the end of the movie where all these explosions happen and he's still standing right before liquid nitrogen pours all over him. Yes! I am invincible! It's <laughs> <This is> classic. <laughs> he's just one of my favorite characters. I love it when he's playing with the pen. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, it's an exploding pen. Tell him! Now! Give me the cards, Natalia! Give them to me! Tell me now! <laughs> and Bond hits it out of his hand as it's going to go off because if he hit it three times in a row or something like that, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to explode. It's so funny. Of course, Natalia, which is Bond's love interest in this movie, mm-hmm. has another great line. So let's just hear her great line. Oh, stop it, both of you! Stop it! You're like boys with toys. <laughs> She's so good. It's a very strong love interest in this who's... yeah. She's constantly yelling at Bond and trying to get him back on task. It's just, it's funny. The interesting thing was that the world's largest satellite dish was used as the 
place where they filmed this ending. Is that actually a satellite dish that was real? It was a real satellite dish. Oh, cool. I'm assuming it wasn't in Cuba. Where was it located? Our CBO in Puerto Rico. Cool. Underneath the fake lake? Well, they created the fake lake. Oh, okay, yeah. But that telescope was real. Pretty cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Just a quick question. Wouldn't it have been better to just EMP England right away? <laughs> <laughs> instead of like playing, you've had this chopper for how long? Yes. And instead of just immediately nuking Severnaya, why don't you just nuke England at that point? You're done. You're done. Game over. He's only really launching one attack anyway. I like the Americans, they don't get their news from CNN, mm-hmm. right? Is that the thing? <laughs> and in the intro to this, this is another one of the good intros in the in the Bond series with GoldenEye. I'm not talking about the pre-credit sequence or the prequel, as you're calling it, but James Bond driving the DB5 when he's talking about racing with Zanya. Mm-hmm. And he's being evaluated by this psychiatrist, I guess. And, of course, there's a hot woman, but that goes without saying. And I love this quote. I like a spirited ride as much as the next girl. Who's that? The next girl. <laughs> I enjoy a spirited ride as much as the next girl. Baby. Who's that? The next girl. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> anyway, GoldenEye is just, for me, with the whole GoldenEye 007 game, with everything. One of the weird things is John Woo, you know, the director, mm-hmm. actually turned down to direct this movie. He did, like, The Killers and such, which would have been a, definitely a different movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Stones were asked to do the theme song. Mm-hmm. They turned it down. Mm-hmm. And then Ace of Base did it. Hmm. And then Tina Turner did it. But a lot of people have not heard the Ace of Base version. Hmm. But I think... That it's worth hearing. Okay, let's listen. And it's interesting that they have <laughs> Timothy Dalton as the lead role in the the material associated with this. With Ace of Base. Huh. Enough. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, there you see uh, Timothy Dalton. Right there, that's not Priest Brosnan. Yeah, no, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? <laughs> I never saw that before, ever. <laughs> but they were thinking about putting him in, and then he turned him down, actually, yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah. Is that because the, the actual song was like... They they had a number of bands that they tested out or for no it no Rolling Stones was supposed to do it they said no then Ace of Base was asked to do it and they turned that in and they said no it wasn't what the director was looking for they said I don't no. I don't like it and yeah. then they did the Tina Turner thing okay and that really took off yeah and that's one of the best themes ever really so but that was number five Goldeneye which means we're on to number four Daniel Craig movie. M's past comes back to haunt her when MI6 comes under attack. Bond hunts down the threat and opens up his painful past in the process. Watch Monty Penny take her shot in our number four Bond movie of all time, 
Skyfall. <laughs> so this was my number four, your five, and the media's five, and the four overall. Would you like to say something about Skyfall, or do you want me to start? You can start. I, I was just about to start singing the, the, the theme song. And the, oh, please sing that, please. Go ahead, Ross. Skyfall. Everybody. Let it tumble. I don't know the words. Okay. Oh, <laughs> take it all in Skyfall. Originally, they were envisioning having the role of Kincaid, played by Sean Connery. Huh. And Kincaid is obviously the caretaker of Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Played wonderfully by Albert Finney. And Kevin Spacey was actually offered the role of Silva initially. Oh, really? Yeah, instead of a Javier Pradim, who did great. So I think... And was that before Spacey had his issues? That, yes, uh... that was before. This is in 2012. Uh-huh. This is the only Bond movie to be shot digitally. Oh, Every really? other one is on film. Hmm. And this is the first Bond theme song that you were singing. Your version yes. of this was the first Bond song to win an Oscar. And that was Adele's version. Unfortunately, Ross, yours didn't make the Oscar. Mine, mine did not make the Oscars. <laughs> the Bond moments, obviously, Bond ambushes attackers hiding in the car, which mm-hmm. is awesome because it's people descending on his home in Skyfall. Mm-hmm. And everybody's looking in the inside, and the Bond's in his car where nobody's looking, and he just opens up the machine guns on everybody, so it's awesome. Just takes them out, yeah. He has a radio tracker as his high-tech Q gadget mm-hmm. that actually defeats Silva when he's on the island. Or does it? Because Silva kind of wants to get captured, which is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. The Komodo dragon scene, holy crap! That thing was... It was crazy, <laughs> really, what it's what that's what it was. And it was in this casino in Macau, and they start fighting, and Bond ends up down there with one of the henchmen. And the Komodo dragon comes up right behind the guy he's fighting and pretty much just eats him. I was blown away at how hardcore Komodo dragons are. I had no idea. <laughs> I really had no idea. It's pretty violent. It's very violent. Javier Bardem as Raul Silvia is one of the best villains in any Bond. His, the acting that he did is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So let's just listen to a little of him meeting Daniel Craig for the first time, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So let's listen. Well, subject is not approved for field duty and immediate suspension from service advised. What is this if not betrayal? <laughs> she sent you off to me knowing you're not ready, knowing you would likely die. Mommy was very bad. See what she's done to you. Well, she never tied me to a chair. Her loss. Are you sure this is about him? It's about her. And you and me. You see, we are the last two rats. We can either eat each other or eat everyone else. How you're trying to remember your training now? What's the regulation to cover this? Well, first time for everything, yes. What makes you think this is my first time? Oh, Mr. Bond. <laughs> well, anyway, that was... <laughs> it's just one of the best scenes ever. It's a great scene. The thing that that scene shows best about Bardem's character, mm-hmm. complete psychopath. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just the calmness of... He's being aggressive without being aggressive. He's being controlling without being controlling. It's just beautifully crafted. Yeah. Crafted. It really is. That was very, very, very good. 
So the thing with Skyfall, there's a scene in Skyfall. It's like when he's going into the highlands of Scotland, he's headed towards Skyfall, his family ancestral home, again, which is what Skyfall is. He's there in the Aston Martin, and it reminded me of previous movie scenes where he's in the countryside in the Aston Martin. When I see scenes like that, it, it all kind of harkens back to some of the origins of Bond. That was essentially what Skyfall did because it brought part of the Bond story full circle. It's very nostalgic. Yeah, that's the word. That's that's exactly the word. Thank you. That particular scene and then some others with M after the whole shootout at the house that happens. It, I felt like they were intentionally trying to get back to the roots. Yeah. Roots. And, yeah. And it's interesting that they, the way they tie it in and the movie was one of my favorite parts when realizing that Monty Penny is Monty Penny because they never mentioned her name. Mm-hmm. up until that point mm-hmm. and the new guy who was encroaching on m space mm-hmm. is actually mallory mm. who is m is m yes <laughs> in yeah. the original doctor no yes so it's throwing back to the beginning and they go to the db5 take m and the, it's very emotional death scene and the way pretty much from the end of the movie is one of my favorite parts of the movie when they're being assaulted at the end, mm-hmm. that whole Home Alone thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that they do, yeah. where they, they they set like all these booby traps and such, and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a fun thing, and then it eventually will roll into the groundskeeper. I was cursing when I watched it live for the first time I ever watched. It. I'm like, turn off your freaking flashlight! What the hell are you doing? Because <laughs> that's when uh, Bardeem looked and he looked in the distance and he saw the flashlight and he realized that was M. Yeah. And then he chased her down and yeah. ended up not directly killing M, but killing M. That was kind of an emotional yeah. point. 007. What took you so long? Oh, I got into some deep water. (laughs) Too late to make a run for it. Well, I'm game if you are. I should get one thing right. And the way they tied it back at the end where everything fit into the place where Bond began. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It really tied so much of the story together. So, Although Bond was kind of creepy with Severine, that Macau sex slave girl. <laughs> you know, in all serious, the one who brought him to Silva. How much do you know about fear? All there is. Not like this. <laughs> Not like him. I can help you. I don't think so. Let me try. How? Bring me to him. Can you kill him? Yes. Will you? Someone usually dies. (laughs) Perhaps you can. When I leave, they're going to kill you. If you survive, I'm on the Chimera. North Harbor, Bath 7. We cast off in an hour. Very nice to have met you, Mr. Bond. Good luck. 
and she was taking a shower and he just shows up right behind her and <laughs> naked in the shower and it seems like it's taking advantage of somebody who's been taken advantage of for her whole life yeah so it was kind of weird yeah so. like a little uh little abusive yeah and you don't think that would happen with the daniel craig version no this is coming a little more current yeah no, very true so that was number four skyfall which means there are three left mm-hmm. which we probably have an idea what the three are but what order are they in what is the bronze medal movie here the bronze medal movie bond is sent to investigate Auric Goldfinger's unusual activities, uh. <laughs> and he uncovers a plot that, if successful, would change the world as we know it. A razor hat, a tricked-out car, and lasers help make Goldfinger our number three bomb movie of all time. This was the media's number one, this is my number three, and this was your number two. Yes. So you can lead us off, my friend. So this was the first Bond movie that I ever watched. And there are some great characters in this movie. Absolutely. There's Oddjob, Goldfinger's little servant. Oh, he was awesome. He was one of my favorite things in the whole movie. (laughs) Yeah. And he's running around with his razor hat that he throws. And it's like a boomerang. It will slice off heads on statues and stuff like that. Oddjob. Many people have tried to involve themselves in my affairs unsuccessfully. Remarkable. But what does the club secretary have to say? Oh, nothing, Mr. Bond. I own the club. Mm. Yeah, decapitating yeah. the statue was one of the <laughs> great scenes. But the weird thing is he decapitates the statue, but when he ends up throwing it at Tilly Masterson, mm-hmm. and he hits her in the neck, mm-hmm. he had it on not decapitate mode because <laughs> it didn't decapitate her <laughs> no yeah. it just knocked her over just knocked her over <laughs> which is quite fascinating because he can slice through concrete but not through flesh so yes, yes. I, I, I don't, I don't understand that i thought that was like i thought she was done i thought that would be awesome not awesome that they killed her but obviously Ajab would be a little more badass then and then bond runs into the woods after her mm-hmm. right before that before she ran into the woods where everybody was shooting at bond Mm-hmm. Bajab throws the hat, hits her, and they're still shooting at Bond. And then Bond leaves cover and goes after the girl, and nobody shoots. Nobody <laughs> shoots. Yeah, no, it's bizarre. I mean, there are things like that that are in it. Here's a couple of little factoids that I like about this movie. One, you know, you have the golf scene that happens at Royal St. George's, which is actually one of the golf courses that the British Open is actually played on. Sure. So that's in southern England. It's the only one that's actually in England. All the rest of them are up in Scotland. Right. So this one is in the south of England. Ian Fleming himself was actually a member of Royal St. George's. And Ian Fleming actually was the captain of the golf team for Royal St. George's. No, really? I didn't know that. He was that good. So this was actually one of his favorite scenes. You have Goldfinger cheating at golf there, and he still loses to Bond. Because Bond kind of cheats back. Exactly. He does, (laughs) yeah. Oh, what a pity. Here it is. No, it's not. He plays a Slazenger one. Strict rules of golf, Goldfinger. Five minutes are almost up. The lost ball will cost you stroke and distance. Uh-uh. Uh-oh. I'm still training him as a caddy. Successfully, too. Slesinger number one, good. If that's his original ball, I'm Arnold Palmer. It isn't. How do you know? I'm standing on it. <laughs> Why, you crafty old... <laughs> Leave it. The ball you found, sir? Yes, Slesinger seven. Let's have a little fun with Mr. Goldfinger. 
Would you like me to mark it or knock it in? Mm-hmm. Play it. This for a half. That's right. One to go. That'll be the clincher. Fine. Did you switch them, sir? Uh-huh. Then we've got them. Uh, you have the, the classic scene in this movie where Jill Masterson is killed by our job when she gets painted completely in gold paint. And, uh, and the interesting thing about that, if you think about it, let's, let's, let's walk back that one. So Bond is making love to Jill Masterson. Mm-hmm. And Ajab's probably hanging out. <laughs> and then he flips on the, the radio station and said, the president is really satisfied. And then Bond's like, and I am too, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then he steps up to get a new bottle of champagne yes. because it needs to be chilled or something. Oh, it's lost its chill. Why? Sorry, right, there's another in the fridge. Who needs it? My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done, such as drinking Dom Perignon 53. Above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. And then Ajab hits him on the back of the head and knocks him out and then kills Jill. But Jill. why didn't you just kill Bond at that point? Because you have to know that that was the dude who was making you lose money at cards. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's, it's like they kill her. But they leave him fine, and then he yeah. wakes up, and she's gold. It's like the Goldfinger calling card, painting her in gold like that. I agree. Who does that? And not only that, how bad is the Miami PD that they don't figure it out? It, it doesn't make sense when you put it in the terms that you just had there. And then you have the introduction of probably the most hilarious Bond girl name of all time, Pussy Galore. She is the quintessential Bond girl, but she's also a pilot, got her flying circus of ladies that are working with her, and they're all part of the plot. You know, they're supposed to to spray all the soldiers at, at Fort Knox. I love it when Bond wakes up from getting captured, and he's on the plane, and he's first introduced to Pussy Galore. Yes. And this is that scene, which is my favorite. Well, one of my favorites. Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. I thought I'd wake up dead. Tranquilize again. Knockout shot. See, I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> it's a big smile. I must, I must be, be dreaming. <laughs> and obviously the other, I think the best scene in this Goldfinger movie, mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. is when... He's captured and strapped down to a gold table. And my favorite, and probably most people know this movie, this is the the scene that everybody thinks of. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. Operation Grand Slam, maybe? (laughs) But it's interesting how they did that scene because it wasn't an actual laser. Mm -hmm. So somebody was welding underneath the table that Bond was on and slowly moving towards his crotch. (laughs) And that was legit. (laughs) So it made Connery uncomfortable, but it made for good movie 
So that was where you saw the the torch. The, the torch, torch was real, but uh, it was from underneath. It was from underneath. Yeah, somebody <laughs> hitting him with a welding torch and going through the table. So, That's pretty funny. I don't know about you, but I'm in the mood for some roasted nuts. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought, right? Uh-huh. And interesting, you know Gert Frobe is the guy who plays Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. But... Every line Goldfinger says in this movie, Goldfinger's a German actor mm-hmm. who can't speak English well. Mm-hmm. Every line in the movie is overdubbed. Oh, really? By Michael Collins, the huh. actor. Okay. Who actually does the voice of Goldfinger, oh, Goldfinger through the whole movie. Wow. And it's one of the best dubbing scenes I've ever seen because you can't tell. You can't tell that, yeah. But it's, it's like not. Speaking- that's not Gert Frobe's voice. Oh, that's that's pretty interesting. And also, in the what they changed in the movie, which makes sense, mm-hmm. is the whole nuclear bomb thing. Mm-hmm. Because in the movie, they just nuke it, and he becomes rich because nobody can touch the gold. Mm-hmm. But in the book, he steals the gold. Mm. Which, in reality, there's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they made it so he nuked it because that's easier to do in a quick hit and run yeah. sort of thing yeah actually stealing the uh the reserve the gold reserve at fort knox would be pretty pretty lengthy lengthy process yes yeah what? yeah so uh, very good a, a couple weird things low points right mm-hmm. he goes to crush mr soto mm-hmm. he goes through this whole elaborate thing where he lets him loose he gives him this gold he puts him in the car with Ajab. Mm-hmm. Ajab takes him to a place where they crush the car. Mm-hmm. And then they take the crushed car in the back of another car. And Ajab drives him back. Why not just shoot him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or better yet, yeah. just let him hang out with his other folks. You're not going to do it. Okay, just come and listen to this. Because they're all going to die in a couple minutes anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a very elaborate killing of an individual. Unnecessarily. And why have this elaborate model of Fort Knox? When he's pointing at the screen, and you can kind of get the same message across. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Hey, what is it? Hey, on the floor, right there. They have that this floor open up, and have this great model of Fort Knox, uh-huh. which really doesn't add anything more to it from a visual point of view. Maybe you can see three-dimensional a little bit more, mm-hmm. but it gives Bond an opportunity to look up from underneath. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess for the, the, the script, that makes sense. And why was Bond driving his own car after he got captured, after Tilly was hit with the hat, and they took him back to Goldfinger, and what does he do? Oh, you can drive your car. You drive your car, because we don't have any room in ours. We'd have one of our guys drive it, but evidently they don't know how to drive stick. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll send the henchman with you in the ejector seat seat. (laughs) (laughs) And you can drive away. You can drive away. (laughs) So it it was kind of a weird thing. At, at the end, just, just one more thing. Let's walk through what happens at the end. Goldfinger ties up the whole plane staff mm-hmm. and takes the plane as Bond is supposed to go and meet the president mm-hmm. on Air Force One or whatever he's on. Yeah. Let's believe for a second that he can do this, even though he's probably not the most physically fit person to assault the military base, not to mention hijacking the president's plane. And... So Goldfinger confronts him. I'm glad to have you aboard, Mr. Bond. Well, congratulations on your uh, promotion, Goldfinger. Are you having lunch at the White House, too? 
In two hours, I shall be in Cuba, and you have interfered with my plans for the last time, Mr. Bond. It's uh, very dangerous to fire guns in planes. I even had to warn Pussy about it. Uh, by the way, where is she? I will deal with her later. At the moment, she's where she ought to be, at the controls. And that's when Bond and Pussy Galore like parachute to safety at the end there. But right, the, yeah, and, the and they parachute. And if you're looking at the air traffic control for that, mm-hmm. you see them jump out of the plane. You actually see the plane, and then you see dots jump out of the plane on air traffic control. I never thought that, that that you could jump out of a plane on air traffic control and you could see the jumpers, which you can. It's like the, you see the plane going down and then you see two people jump. You see jump, see dots drop out. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And yeah. I'm like, why are you showing that? But one of the other really, really cool things in the beginning, Bond swims into the heroin factory that he blows up. Mm-hmm. With a duck on his head. Yes. <laughs> in a wetsuit. Uh-huh. And he goes to the place where they keep heroin. And also nitroglycerin, because that's what you keep with all your heroin. <laughs> <laughs> the tanks of nitroglycerin <laughs> with all your heroin. It goes together. <laughs> and he blows up easily the nitroglycerin. <laughs> because it's there. <laughs> and he leaves. And he gets out of the wetsuit and he's wearing the tuxedo. Yes. And he walks downtown. Yeah. And it blows up and everybody's freaking out except for him. Yes. Because he's cool yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> he's like, if they're going to put nitro next to all of their drugs, I'm going to take advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> and why wouldn't Ajam recognize Bond, really, when he's playing golf at that point? Didn't he just, like, knock him out and paint somebody gold during the period? (laughs) Yeah, our job should recognize Bond for sure. Another movie that has a similar character in it to our job is The Man with the Golden Gun. You have Nick Knack in that movie. Yeah, he didn't have a hat. Well, he had a hat. He had a a bowler hat as well. But he didn't throw it. He didn't throw it, but he he wandered around in a bowler hat and he did did all the Scaramanga's dirty work. It was the same type of character. Always associated those two together. Really? And I've associated them together because of the gold finger and the golden gun. An association between those two characters in my mind. So, as a matter of fact, when I first saw the man with the golden gun, I thought for some reason that Nick Knack had been Goldfinger's servant in the original really? one. Yeah. Because okay. I, I saw them about two years apart and I was six years old and eight years old. Okay. And I had that association in my mind of the same character for some reason. So when I first saw them. So it's it's been like that for me forever. Yeah. So. Well, that's cool. <laughs> it's interesting though, if you know how Ajab dies, he's electrocuted, right? Yeah, that's right. But if you notice how the hat is thrown against the bars mm-hmm. and then Bond hits the bars with the, with the, with the electricity. electricity. Yeah. But if you think about how those bars are set up, the bars go straight into the ground. Yeah. They're not necessarily touching. Touching. Yeah, they could. And he hit one side of it and it magically went through the other side. It's like it yeah. was a regular bar, like a yeah. cage yeah. would have. And that would make sense. And I maybe it's all connected underneath, and I can kind of buy that. But it was just kind of weird that those bars look like they're just straight down into the concrete, each individual, as opposed to connected. Yeah. But I guess they have to be connected somewhere, so maybe that's true. Yes. But it was one of those weird things. And real quick, before we leave Goldfinger, Shirley Bassey was freaking awesome in this the theme song, by the way. Absolutely. 
All right. So we're down to two. What do you think? I think you should uh, subscribe to the Dirty Dozen podcast. I think you always should. A beautiful Russian girl offers to steal the Lecter decoding machine. If only Bond would sweep her off her feet and help her defect. All is not what it seems. As Garotwire, a gadget-filled suitcase, and a hidden shoe knife can change everything. Connery's second Bond movie turns into our number two Bond movie of all time. From Russia with Love. Which was my number one, your number three, and the media's number two. This is the first appearance of Q in any Bond movie, although Major Boothroyd showed up in Dr. No. Peter Burton, who played Major Boothroyd in Dr. No, was unable to make From Russia With Love. Hmm. So they wanted to bring Desmond Llewellyn on mm-hmm. as the quartermaster, but they didn't want to name him Major Boothroyd to screw people up because it's not the same dude. Yeah. So they called him Q, which obviously stands for quartermaster. And Desmond Llewellyn became a staple of the Bond franchise, missing only a few Bonds pretty much until he died. So he's amazing. I love the realism of From Russia With Love. It was raw. It was really gritty, just like JFK, my favorite Bond movie ever. Mm-hmm. It's his favorite book ever. Mm-hmm. So I'll take that. The first pre credit scene where they kill Bond in the beginning, mm-hmm. which isn't Bond, it's some mm-hmm. dude with a mustache. But... I was like, oh, you're trying to fake me out. Although I like the way that Grant killed with his garrote, like in his watch. I thought that was a cool gadget for the enemy. The enemy has gadgets now. <laughs> By far, the best scene in this whole movie is the train battle with Grant. On the Orient Express. Yeah, when he's sitting there trying to be a uh, British agent, all of a sudden it's figured out that he's not. <laughs> because he killed the guy who Bond was supposed to meet. That's correct. So let's listen to that. We'll pick it up as Grant is holding James Bond at gunpoint. The first one won't kill you. Not the second. Not even the third. Not till you crawl over here and you kiss my foot. How about a cigarette? Not a chance. I'll pay for it. What with? 50 gold sovereigns. Where are they? Up there in my case. You show me. Yeah. What about that cigarette? Throw them down there. Any more in the other case? I should imagine so. It's a standard kit. I'll have a look. Put your hand back in your pockets. Keep them there. Tear gas goes off and it's an awesome fight. One of the great scenes in cinema, I think. That was the first in a series of train battles that Bond would have over the years. Mm-hmm. And it set the template for what it could be. And I don't know that it got better than that. Yeah. This scene reminds me of the opening scene in Casino Royale, which doesn't happen in a train, but it happens in a bathroom. And it's just as physically brutal in the sense that it's that level of intensity. and Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's brutal, yeah. And that's the point about this scene. It's, it's a pretty brutal scene, but it's yeah. a great scene. It, it really is. The other thing about this is filmed on the Orient Express. And at the same time uh, that this was filmed, uh, there was a another uh, movie called The Murder on the Orient Express. 
Uh, it was very popular. Uh, yeah, it's a great, fl- great yeah, film. Great film. Agatha Christie's story. Yeah, Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. There's actually a new one in theaters right now that I saw just yeah, uh, like De- a Death on the Nile. Ago. Death on the Nile. Yep. And uh, not on the Orient Express. but uh, That came out like a year or two ago, I think. They had a version, a newer yeah. version. Yeah, yeah. We saw that. Yeah, I did see that, yeah. So. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's a, not as good as Knives Out because Bond's in that one. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Daniel Craig is in Knives Out. That's pretty, that is actually pretty hilarious, that movie. It's so it's, it's very really good. good. Very good. But getting back to From Russia with Love, at the end, I really like, well, before we even get there, I really like Pleb and Kronstein. Three men were found dead on the train at Trieste. One of them was Grant. What have you to say in number five? It was Pleb's choice. Her people failed. It was your plan. They followed it implicitly. Impossible. It was perfect. Except for one thing. They were dealing with Bond. Who is Bond? compared with Kronstein. Exactly. What have you to say to that, number three? Bond is still alive and the lector is not yet in our possession. I have already negotiated with the Russians to return it to them. We've agreed a price. Inspector always delivers what it promises. Our whole organization depends on our keeping those promises. Now Kronstein had this thing all planned and he's this brilliant guy and he's standing next to Kleb and Blofeld makes the decision on who to kill. I warn you, we do not tolerate failure, number three. You know the penalty. Yes, number one. Our rules are very simple. If you fail... And Clem's pretty certain it's her, and Kronstein's pretty certain it's her, and it ends up being Kronstein, so it's pretty awesome there. 12 seconds. One day we must invent a faster working venom. Number three. Yes. I do not wish to have to tell the Russians that there will be another delay. There will be no delay, number one. There's still time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's always funny to me how Spectre can recruit all of these great people when they see how quickly people are being killed around them. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The boat... The boat race or the the boat battle at the end is phenomenal. The explosion when he shoots the flare gun where everything blows up, they can only do once. And they actually got in quite a lot of trouble for doing it because the people who okayed them to do it didn't realize the explosion was going to be that big. Mm-hmm. But what a stunning part. And at the end where... Tanya is in the hotel room with Bond where it's supposed to be over and you see Kleb sneak in and she has that dagger shoe which of course is pretty awesome. The routine from here on in. Not so many times. Hello, hello. Kleb. Romanova. The door. Romanova! But Tanya finally decides to shoot her instead of Bond. Really, really fantastic scene. Ah! Horrible woman. Yes. She's had her kicks. <laughs> anyway, From Russia with Love, one of the best movies ever. The, everything in this movie is just fantastic. So let's move. I wonder what number one could be. I, I think I know what it is. It's my number two. The media's number four, and I won't tell you what number it is on you. 
The best card player in MI6, the newly minted double O, James Bond, must defeat a banker in a card game worth millions of terrorist dollars. The reboot of the franchise is emotional and brings back a much needed dose of realism to Bond. Do you need that itch scratched? No, look no further than the number one Bond movie of all time, Casino, Casino Royale. Royale. <laughs> so this is your number one, so you can take the lead. Yeah, so as I said just a little bit ago, you have an introduction to Daniel Craig in this movie. This is his first, is also Ian Fleming's original book. Very, very first James Bond that he wrote for whatever reason, uh, Eon Productions couldn't get the rights to make this particular movie until it came about. I think Columbia Pictures bought it, and that's how they did that, that David Niven and uh, mm-hmm. Woody Allen picture, because yeah. that was... Casino Royale. It was, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Peter Sellers is James Bond. Ursula Andress is James Bond. David Niven is James Bond. Woody Allen is James Bond. My, my doctor says I can't have bullets enter my body. Joanna Pettit is James Bond. Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. It, but it wasn't. It wasn't. No, it was, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. But they held the rights forever and they finally got it back in, in order to do this. So they were very happy about that. Or yeah. At least Barbara was. Yeah, exactly. You know, they they picked Daniel Craig to play the role here. I think it was a brilliant move to to pick him because you had a a, a movie that was you know an extremely robust story. It was a, a movie that required a level of brutality, but also a suaveness and, and a deeper character in a sense for this particular movie. It opens with the brutal killing in a bathroom, which is, you know, where Bond... I love achieved. it that it's all black and white. Yeah, it's sort of back in the day type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's hearkening to that, which is really clever. It, it shows you how Bond achieved his double O status, because that was what he had to do to do that. You have one of the great Great, great foot race sequences where Bond is chasing Malacca in Madagascar. With parkour and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's it's phenomenal. It just moves at a pace which is quite spectacular. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, Bond holds, you know, the attack on the Skyfleet prototype airline. Demetrius, I think, that gets blown yeah. up by the gadget that's designed to blow up the airline. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> he strapped it to him. It's interesting that whole scene is not filmed at the Miami airport. Oh, it's not? It's filmed in three airports in three different countries. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, one is in England, one is in the Bahamas, and one is in Prague. None of which <laughs> none is in of, Miami. None of that's in Miami. <laughs> but yeah. it depends on what scene, what part of that scene you were looking at. Yeah. It's in one of those three airports, but huh. it's not in the Miami airport. That's pretty interesting. Character of Le Chiffre is then, you know, revealed. He's invested or he's gambled his clients' money away on the Skyfleet. He shorted the options on Skyfleet, yeah. Yeah, so that so he'd done that. But you, you then get introduced to Obanyo, who's a commander in the Lord's Army from Uganda. That's got a whole set of story to it that if you went down that line, horrendous thing going on in Uganda at the time, you know, capturing of the kids, taking them away and... and causing them to become a a brutal army there and then we're also introduced to mr white who is Mm -hmm. uh, a member of the quantum criminal organization you know and they're trying to get their money back you know because the shifra has now lost their money it goes from there and there's so much to it and it's interesting that the whole quantum the reason they use quantum Mm -hmm. instead of specter Mm -hmm. for example It's because they didn't have the rights to it. It was still the McClory thing was going overhead. They wanted to use that in uh, both in Quantum of Solace and in uh, 
Casino Royale, but McClory wouldn't let them mm-hmm. because he kind of owned Spectre somehow. But he died, and his estate let them use it hmm. for Spectre, and that's why they were able to do Spectre as the third movie. Okay. 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 That's how they tied it together. It's it's, it's, it's kind of a that's weird a, that's, sort of thing. That's yeah. interesting because the first two obviously have the quantum, you know, yeah. you know piece to it. So right, because yeah. they couldn't use the Spectre. Spectre what they wanted to use initially, but they couldn't. Wow. So huh, it's all this whole drama with him. It's it's been crazy. A couple of weird things that could have happened. Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. expressed interest in directing this movie. Oh gosh! But he would have wanted to do it set back in the 60s shot completely in black and white with Pierce Brosnan as Bond hmm so that was just a weird sidebar Mm -hmm. which obviously didn't happen the barrel roll stunt when he rolls over when uh, Vesper is tied on the road that is the he broke the record for the most cannon assisted barrel rolls ever done by a car yeah in there i read that somewhere yeah it's kind of interesting and they do the reverse honey rider type of thing when uh bond walks out of the water yes (laughs) so uh that's kind of weird i have a couple of quotes to go through in the big card game bond is doing pretty well against the chief so the chief poisons bond that's correct and he comes back with the quote Oh, I'm sorry. That last hand nearly killed me. (laughs) When he comes back after it. So let's just hear that part. I love that. Just setting the scene here. Bond is in his car getting an emergency EKG to restart his heart after the poison set in. You okay? Me? Thank you. You're welcome. I'll get yourself off to hospital. I will do. As soon as I've won this game. We're not seriously going back there. Well, I'm sorry. That last hand nearly killed me. <laughs> uh, that was when he was poisoned by by Le Chiffre's girlfriend, Valenka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> It was so awesome. <laughs> it's a great quote, yeah. In this movie, you know, obviously we get introduced to Vespa Lund in this movie. Yes. Obviously a genuine romantic interest of Bonds, but one that is more of a monogamous interest, not like a, just a fling. So, Right, but she's not monogamous. <laughs> she's not. <laughs> yes. This is true, yeah. This because is true. she's hooked up with her boyfriend, who she believes has been captured by Quantum. And will die unless she does exactly what she's told. It's sort of a reverse honey trap. Because the guy works for Quantum. And is tricking foreign spies or people they want to manipulate. Into believing this lie. That he's going to die. Unless they do what they've been told. At the end of the movie, Bond finds the guy who trapped Vesper. And actually prevents him from trapping a Canadian spy. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most brutal torture scenes ever in any movie... It's just horrifying with a sheaf torturing James Bond, yes. stripping him down, taking out the bottom of the chair and hitting it with the rope. Yes. Something like this. This <laughs> is brutal. <laughs> Miss Lynn will give me the account number. 
if she hasn't already. So all I need from you is the password. I've got the ledge. Down there. Would you mind? Funny man, Mr. Hart. Ah! Yeah! Ah! Ah! Mm! Yes! 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 <laughs> now the whole world's gonna know that you don't scratch my balls. Oh, <laughs> well, I died. I died. Yes. Because no matter what you do, I'm not going to give you the password, which means your clients are going to hunt you down and cut you into little pieces of meat while you're still breathing. Because if you kill me, there'll be nowhere else to hide. But you are so wrong! Because even after I slaughtered you and your little girlfriend, your people would still welcome me with open arms. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the, as I said, one of the most brutal things. I have an itch. <laughs> no! <laughs> to the right, to the right. But yeah. oh, so good. What a wonderful reboot of the franchise mm -hmm. into the realism that was required in a modern world. The reason is twofold. First, they wanted to do Casino Royale because they got the rights to Casino Royale in 1999. And that would require them to do a complete reboot. And Brosnan was getting a little old for that. Plus, his last movie, Die Another Day, which just came out slightly after 9-11 in 2002 wasn't received as well as they'd hoped and they wanted to go in a serious direction and that was not what Brosnan was doing at the moment so they made a change. I think as well if you read the commentary on Fleming's original design of the character and being that this is Casino Royale which was the original movie Fleming's Bond was rough and tough he was a brutal character he was not just this goofy sort of yeah. you know and so it needed to be authentic as well I mean 9-11 totally makes sense yeah. but the authenticity of the actual character needed to be portrayed in this and I, I think it, it does Craig has just done remarkable justice to and they need it and Brosnan couldn't work because Brosnan was getting up in age and he couldn't pull off the Casino Royale, which mm -hmm. is supposed to be Bond's first adventure. Yeah. Which means he has to be younger. When you're 47, it's hard to pull that off. Hard to pull that off, yeah. I think you, you also, um, I think in casting Craig, I think they saw him in the mu movie Munich before they cast him in this. I don't know if you had read that at all. Well, he was in uh, Munich and he was he's in the road to perdition. He got yeah. in some decent movies. He got some decent roles, but this was his first lead role. In Munich, he'd played one of those assassin-type characters that was pretty brutal. And so I think, you know, they, they got to see a little insight to what it could be like. Okay. Know, so. Well, that's cool. Uh, anything else? So I think, uh, you know, you have another character, Mr. White, who we later find out to be Madeline's father, is the one who actually saves Bond by killing Le Chiffre. Right. It's interesting that he does that, and then there's later, you know, the connection. Well, he tries to get the money from Vesper and that whole thing, and he ends up yeah. getting the money from Vesper, yeah. really, which is really cool scene mm -hmm. when the canals of Venice has this house just sinking, just sinking in it, into it, yeah. even though the, the way they did that digitally is pretty cool, because mm -hmm. nothing actually 
you know, wasn't a real house that was sinking yeah, in Venice. Yeah, yeah. But it looked pretty legit. It looked legit, yeah. <laughs> so one, one, one last little uh, bizarre factoid or strange factoid. The villa on Lake Como in Italy that Bond shoots Mr. White in the leg at at the end of the movie yeah. was George Clooney's house for a season of time. Oh, really? Yeah. It was... And George Clooney killed many people in that house. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. I didn't know that. Anyway, that was number one, Casino Ryle. Uh, let me just mention briefly the ones that didn't make the cut, mm-hmm. uh, which was you had your number 11, The Man with the Golden Gun, mm-hmm. and your number 12, Tomorrow Never Dies, which mm-hmm. was my one of my runner-ups mm-hmm. that didn't make it. But at my number 11 was Octopussy. Okay. By uh, Roger Moore, which yeah. was one of the first couple ones I saw growing up, so I mm-hmm. kind of love that movie. Yeah. And I don't know that I should, but I do. <laughs> so Oct- Oct- Octopussy had an interesting character in the movie, just just to briefly mention, but his name was VJ. And VJ was actually a professional Indian tennis player, tennis player at the was. time. <laughs> and the way that it's interesting that how they had to get him hired, uh-huh. because he has to be a SAG member to do that uh-huh. they got him as a special guest on either fantasy island i think it was fantasy island or the love boat i can't remember mm-hmm. and he got a sag card by being a guest on that on that so he could apply for a sag card and he did and then he was able to work in the bond movie okay very very, very cool i didn't yeah. know that part i did yeah. i did know that he was a professional tennis player yeah that, I, that was that that's why he's fighting with a tennis racket which is <laughs> exactly kind of funny. Yeah, it's a hilarious scene <laughs> But let's be kind and rewind. Let's take a second to remind everybody what the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 James Bond movies were. Number 12, Thunderball. Number 11, The Living Daylights. Number 10, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number 9, No Time to Die. Number 8, License to Kill. Number 7, Dr. No. Number six, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number five, Goldeneye. Number four, Skyfall. Number three, Goldfinger. Number two, From Russia With Love. And number one, Casino Royale. But Ross, thank you so much, man. Thank you, Rob. This has been fun. Thank you for hanging out and talking some Bond, which is something I love to talk about. And uh, I spend way too much time on it but well you have a an advanced knowledge of all of the quips which when i see them i remember them but that's just not my thing you know yeah, yeah yeah and and all the clips that you put into that the time that you put into that that's fantastic it really really uh was fantastic to go through this experience with you all right well thanks it's always fun to do this and i know it's your first time on the podcast so it's always kind of a little different but you did well. Thank you so much for being a part of this. In two weeks, we're going to be talking about The Lonely Island. Back to music, everybody. I hope you've been enjoying season four. Uh, we just had our final votes, which are amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody voting, and I appreciate everybody listening to this podcast at this time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you enjoyed it. That would be great to let you know what's coming up this season. We have The Lonely Island, which should be out April 5th. You 2 will be out April 19th, the podcast on U2. Then uh, our final three artists were selected, The Darkness, Kiss, and UFO. 
artists still to come this season on season four, The Police in May with the Allman Brothers in May as well. System of a Down, Alice Cooper, Billy Joel, Green Day, Cake, Sticks, and Huey Lewis and the News. So it should be a great season, everybody. Be sure to get involved in our Facebook community. Just go onto Facebook and type at Dirty Dozen Podcast, one word, and you'll jump right to us. Join in on the conversation. We love to talk with you, and it's great. We had so much fun doing this. Thank you again, Ross. Thank you. There's links to everything on the podcast when you're listening to it. If you listen to it on Apple, just go scroll down, click on the actual podcast and scroll down and you'll see all of the links and show notes and all sorts of fun stuff on there. You can also find it at www.30dozenpodcast.com. So check that out. I'll see you in two weeks when we talk about the Lonely Island and all those beautiful SNL shorts. Till we meet again, God bless.